Judah and Matthew are dumpster people, and they occasionally use foul and inappropriate language. Listen at your own risk. Welcome to Brother Date, Star Trek Edition, episode 14 of Star Trek Edition. It's 14? It is 14. Nice. Lucky number 14. I'm Matthew. I'm Judah. Uh, we will also hear thoughts from Ben. That's right. Um, yeah, man, I don't know what to say. I think this is the week that I was waiting for. I think as as far out as two episodes ago, which is like a month in real time, yeah. when we looked forward to this week, we were like, oh, hang on. There's some stuff here. There could be something based on There's potentially something based on the episodes we re- we recognized from the first two series and then just episode titles. Yeah, like I didn't know what Jatrell meant. No, Voyager and, needs to do a better job on picking titles. Well, but boy, was there a hot minute when I figured out what Jatrell meant when I was excited. I mean, we'll get to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I I'm just saying as a intro based on the scores that I gave this week. Clearly, this was the, the I think the breakout week I was waiting for. But we'll we will yeah. jump into it all. I, I realize that I haven't done, like, um, week averages right? to see how the weeks actually compare, but I, I may spend some time with the spreadsheet and add that data so that we see, like, is this really one of the better weeks? Yeah. I think the answer is going to be yes. I think so, too. So I guess we ought to jump into it, huh? Yeah, let's get into it. Let's see if we can... Um, I do think there's a possibility we could crack three hours. I just... This I'm, might... I'm really pumped about it. I've been trying to for weeks, so... I have, a like, an unreasonable amount of notes on many of these episodes. <laughs> Me too. So... Let's do it. Uh, this week, we watched Balance of Terror. Earth outposts are under attack by an unknown ship presumed to be Romulan. The ship has powerful weapons of limited range and invisibility. Can Kirk outmatch it with speed and cunning? Yeah. Yeah, 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 good question. Um, I mean, the answer is barely. I'm not one of those freaks, okay? I'm not one of those freaks. I'm not one of those freaks. I'm not one of those freaks. I just think that this episode is the greatest thing that happened in my whole life. I'm not one of those freaks. I just, (laughs) seriously, I think before we get into it, this is the kind of thing that people remember when they remember TOS fondly. Like they go, oh yeah, I remember TOS. That show was pretty cool, especially for the 60s. Like it was, uh, Kirk was awesome and um, they had these cool Cold War morality tales. Like this was good stuff. And then when they go back and rewatch them, there's a lot of dancing hippies and jizz flowers and nonsense like that. Can I offer, though, that they definitely also remember Mud's women? Yeah. Fondly? Well, that's a, that's a very good question. Fuck those people, if that's true. <laughs> um, yeah, so this is a, this is a tense, little, tense little submarine drama here, huh? Marshawn will confirm that I exclaimed things loudly in our living room many times during this episode. <laughs> I enjoyed this highly. Just, just as pure enjoyment. I, it, I thought it was amazing. I, I mean, I, look, uh, we'll get to the scores in a minute. 
Um, this is one where my scores don't necessarily reflect how much I enjoyed it. Mm. Don't get me wrong. It scored well yeah. for me. But, like, I liked it even more than I scored it. Yeah. What did you so, think this thing was about, dude? So... This is tough, because, of course, what it's about is... Dog, what if there was, like, a cool space encounter? <laughs> well, yes. Yes, that is the basic plot of it. But, um... What I settled on for the take in this one is... Uh, even hated adversaries are more alike than they are unalike. And, and you do get a lot of that. There's... But, so, I mean, my so my dis... The reason that I said I eventually settled on that is because it's kind of one-sided. Yeah. Like, every fifth thing the Romulan commander says is about how rock-hard he is for Kirk. Dude, at one point he says he's a sorcerer and he can read his thoughts. That's true. Which and was... And by the way... Bonkers! Uh, there's a really interesting choice that was made in that scene where he, when he says that the, the man is a sorcerer, he can read my thoughts. There's like a fucking explosion and some shit falls down behind him and you can't actually hear him say, read my thoughts. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, you only get uh, it if you have the subtitles on. And they were just like, Mark Leonard did such a good fucking take. Like, the half of that sentence that we heard was enough. Yeah, yeah. How, how are you going to let the lackey who was shaking shit up above him ruin such a great performance? Yeah, like, uh, he destroys it on that. Anyway, um, that's that's my take. I thought... So the other thing that I was struggling with here is that this is also sort of an episode about paranoia and racism, mm. and I thought we might be relitigating Japanese internment in World War II a little bit. Yep, there was definitely an, an element of that. the way they were given Spock the business about the Romulans? Yeah, spoiler alert, the Romulans have never been seen before. That's right, they fought a war with humans a hundred years ago, but there was no ship-to-ship visual communication in those days. That that seems odd that that would be an advanced technology, but that's okay. Maybe the Universal Translator couldn't keep up or something. Yeah, well, I mean, we know from Enterprise that they do have visual ship-to-ship, so I don't really understand what that's about. um, I guess the Romulans didn't. Yeah, and I... Just no cameras on the bridge or something, huh? So not only did they never see them that way, but even the peace accords or or armistice or whatever the hell was signed was done via subspace radio, like marriage. Which is, by the way, that's insane. Yeah, exactly. Um, Like like they wouldn't have been on the deck of whatever the flagship was signing that peace treaty, just like in uh, World War II? Yeah. So they've literally never seen Romulans, so when the, this guy pops on the screen the first time, and he looks like a Vulcan, everyone turns at Spock, and they're like, Oh! What are... What? what? These guys are Vulcans? So then there's a guy on the ship who's a, a racist dick, because his grandpappy or whatever got killed by Romulans. That's right, there was a Captain Styles in that war. And uh, also a, a commander and some junior officers. I don't remember what he said. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so you're right. There's, uh, they're going for that element of paranoia and racism. Uh, interestingly, he tells them that they'll recognize the ship because it'll have a bird of prey painted on it, and then that just never comes up. I know! <laughs> I don't know. Rewatching it, I was watching the, uh, obviously the remastered version, but they probably mm-hmm. had that thing painted on there on the original model too, right? Well, the model, the plastic model that I built when I was in the teenager had it on there. Yeah. So I assume it did. By the way, that paint scheme totally worked for me when I was a kid and totally works for me now. There's something... Uh, Just flat gray with the 
burnt orange bird of prey on the bottom? There's something so badass about that bird of prey on the bottom of that ship. Because otherwise that yeah. ship looks kind of stupid. I mean, it's very simplistic, but, like, so is the original Enterprise. Yeah. Like, they didn't put, like, there's not a bunch of shit sticking out everywhere, which I actually kind of like. Yeah. Because it's like, people can't be on the outside of the ship anyway. Why would they put stuff out there? Yeah. Maybe Enterprise needed a cool paint job. Something like that. Anyway. Uh, I gave that take, um, it's about a six. Right. That's a six take for me. It's not novel enough to be higher than a six, but at least it's laudable. Right. I had, um, how do you answer aggression when the stakes are total war? Cause yeah, there's a lot of that in this episode, too. Yeah, there's a lot of, uh, well, what do we do? Do we chase him back home, or do we let him go? And Kirk spends the first half of the episode trying really hard to be patient and not dive into some kind of conflict that could turn into Giant Space War 2 or whatever. Yep, Kirk is trying to avoid war, and he has direct orders not to provoke a war, even to the extent that his ship and all the outposts are considered expendable. Right, he makes that very clear, and at the same time you get the Romulan commander who, despite his orders is pretty clearly unhappy with the entire situation. And yes. is not into the prospect of a giant space war as well. And But I think the stakes for him are, if he defeats the Enterprise, there will definitely be a space war. That's what it seems like, because he seems pretty bummed when things are going well um, in the battle. If, if he is unable to defeat the Enterprise and has to run away, there may not be a war, because they're sort of testing the Federation's strength. Exactly. Yeah, it's a probe. So... War is definitely a possibility for him, and he personally wants to avoid it. And his, uh, the Centurion... Is into it. Is, he's into it, but in a... He's like Styles. Yeah, he's, he's sort of a Styles. He's the Styles of the Romulan ship, and he's got a cool helmet. Oh, wait, we're yeah. talking about the, that guy or no, the, the blonde guy? The Centurion, the blonde. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, they, Not the, the guy who got reduced two strips in length, but then kept showing up on the bridge. <laughs> that guy got fucking thrashed. Dude, Kirk, all Kirk does to Styles is he turns him around a little bit and he's like, hey, no more racism, okay? I'm well, being serious. Styles didn't break radio silence when they were running cloaked. Yeah. To be like, hey, we hella shot up this ship. Yes. <laughs> that other guy, though, he just gets, he's like, you reduced two steps in rank. It's like, boom. That's how yeah. it works. Get out of here. Um, so there's definitely... The stakes of Total War are are certainly looming in this episode. And it does... It moderates Kirk's actions, I think, more than it moderates the Romulan commanders. Because although he talks about it a lot... He still knows he, what his duty is. He is going to do his duty. Yeah, exactly. He's not going to uh, make the decisions himself. He's just going to brood about it a lot. Um, so for me, questions tend to get lower point totals, because it's just not declarative. It's not a hot take. Yeah. And I couldn't come up with the hot take in this one, because they they debate on it for a while, but then pretty much halfway through the episode, it's decided what, what Kirk's gonna do. Um, it's true. But, you know, all the stuff about balancing justice and peace, or, uh, you know, what do they do about these dudes who just attacked them all, and all that it, and it's good old fashioned Cold War stuff, so I gave I gave it a six as well. On the take. it is really it is very steeped in the Cold War. Yeah, um, so. it just they haven't gotten to like proxy players yet. No, in their analysis of the Cold War, but don't worry, it's coming. That's right, they have plenty of time. Two and a half um, seasons left. 
Okay, so six out of ten isn't amazing. We've certainly given higher scores on takes than that. Uh, it wasn't very sci-fi in its high concept. It was more um, drama. I think I may even have a higher take than that in this week. So, um, I do too. But uh, how did it execute on its premise for you? I gave it an eight. Ben's pick of the week. Hi, this is Ben Town, your remote Star Trek edition correspondent with my pick of the week. Pick of the week. Damn. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. It's Ben's pick of the week, son. (laughs) Okay, so does that mean this is his high execution score of the week? Uh, This is his high episode of the week, Ah. and it would not have won the week if he didn't give it an eight in execution. Ah, That's what I gave it. Do uh, do, Do you have anything from Ben you want to say? So his take on this was similar to mine. Right. The enemies are people just like us. Um, I think he he really liked having an intelligent adversary. Mm-hmm. That this is not... He was good. I mean, he had the Romulan guy had tricks. You know what I mean? He had tricks up his sleeve. Some of he them had... kind of worked, some of them didn't. He had tricks. Um, he didn't always make exactly the right move, but a lot of the reasons he lost had more to do with the technology of the two ships than about the things that he was doing. And uh, at the very least, he seemed thoughtful. He was thoughtful. He did seem he did seem thoughtful. Yeah. Um. Uh, but since we're talking about this, uh, by the way, Ben also gave it a very high score for world building. Mm. Um. So okay. he things he brought up, uh, we'll talk about in the next uh, in the next segment but he gave it an eight you also gave it an eight yes so like i was saying unfortunately they come up with the answer to this conundrum about what how they're going to answer this halfway through um but neither side seems very happy about how it's going so the theme kind of continues um throughout the rest of the episode because both sides are like this is bullshit then it's just submarine show but i had the same thing as ben they gave kirk a worthy adversary one who's not full of crazy bloodlust. Yep. And that is amazing for the 1960s. That this dude seemed to have some dimensions to him. And I think... Uh, it really is. Like I was saying, I think this is the kind of thing that people remember TOS for. This um, thoughtful Cold War story. So. Yeah, I wonder how it will hold up when we get into the actual Cold War with the Klingons. We haven't seen a Klingon yet. Yes. Um... When we see them, I should I ask, like, O'Brien, those are Klingons? I guess we should. Okay. I guess it depends on which comes first, right? Trials and tribulations. <laughs> or what uh, is the, the first f- Klingon appearance in uh Do in we know TOS. what's the first Klingon appearance? I don't remember which one is the first one they appear in. In TOS. I am looking. Not sure. Could it be a taste of Armageddon? That sounds like it might be Klingon-y. <laughs> all of... Uh, if so, that's episode 23. All of the original Star Trek episodes have long titles that remind me of Babylon 5 titles. So they, They're definitely in the trouble with Tribbles, but that's not till 44. So um, somewhere in the next 20 to 30 episodes, we'll start to see the Klingons. Sometime I don't the... know. They may only be in four or five episodes. Sometime in the next few years, in real time, they will they will show up. Yes. Yeah. So I just, anyway, I thought it was overall, I thought it was really clean execution. I didn't have a lot of complaints, so. Um, yeah, in general, so 
Um, I rated it a little lower. I only gave it a five for execution of, of my premise, and that's mostly because it's entirely one-sided. Yeah. Uh, I will say that Kirk seems to treat the enemy commander, like, respectfully. Like, he doesn't assume that he's an idiot. Right. And he, he sort of thinks strategically and treats him like he might might make the right moves or the same moves. Right. He just doesn't... He's not all the time expounding on his love for him. <laughs> no, he's not. It is not a uh, mutual love fest. Yeah. So, I mean, there's there's some of that in there, but I don't know. Kirk, there haven't been that many space encounters so far. Right. And, uh... Yeah, the, most episodes so far have taken place. They visit some planet. There's one guy who lives on it. He's weird. Like, that's the plot. <laughs> I mean, that's basically it so far, yeah. yeah. It's, uh... So it might just be that that's how Kirk treats people. Yeah. That's how he commands a ship. Um, I mean, in general, so this is... uh, Execution tends to get just stuff about the episode. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Again, I thought uh, this was pretty well written. There's only like one, one or two lines that are bad. Yeah. They mostly land in McCoy's mouth in this episode. I loved McCoy in this episode. I loved no, him. No, did you? I thought it was he, amazing. Um, he becomes a real philosopher. Yeah, he does. He's just a super philosopher in this one. <laughs> he really digs in. Um, but as far as the sort of back and forth, the pacing of the episode, I thought was very good. Hmm. It was well shot. Yeah. There's the little wedding scene at the beginning. Yeah, dude, that chick loses her fiancé and she's just like, whatever, I'm cool. I know, it's like, I know it's my duty to be just be cool with it. I'm cool with it. That's right. We don't see a scene with her in Counselor Troy's office being like, oh, I got rid of all his shit. That's right. And then Counselor Troy's like, I kept this one thing. <laughs> I, I knew you'd want it. That's right. But I did rub my butt on it. So <laughs> That's just for me. One That's of a the secret for me. Rare Counselor Troy counseling sessions that we get it to It only see. happens about three times, and it's always when she's being bad at it for some reason. Mm-hmm. That's probably why I assume she's bad at it. I guess they figure it's boring to show her doing her job well, but that's what I like about the next generation is that the people are good at their jobs. Yeah, me too. Because that's well, if you I remember, work. I want to work in that environment where the people are good at their jobs and they want to be there. You know what I mean? Yes. <laughs> remember, I gave Enterprise a higher score I think last week because they actually seemed like they were competent for once. And I was yeah. like, oh, that's kind of nice. It's nice to see that. Uh, so for me, it was only a five uh, for execution. All right. Um, but frankly, I tend to go fairly hard on the execution scores. Yeah, and I'm I'm trying. It's where I take my grievances out on episodes. I think I'm trying not to rate TOS against the other shows so much because it's there's so much stage acting and weird lighting and melodrama that kind of accompanies its era, and it's very hard to like to balance all those aspects against I'm just I try to judge it against its peers in the 60s in terms of like episode development and execution cuz if I compare it to like TNG TNG like even though the performances are wooden and crappy a lot of the times they're not crazy stage acting and stuff like that so I mean the the bottom line with this episode in terms of execution I almost want to give it an extra point because of this now that I think about it is that if this episode had been 25 minutes longer, it would have been better than f- at least five of the six Star Trek movies. Oh, God, yes. Well, for one thing, 
uh, there's Star Trek 2 all over this movie. Yeah, I don't think that's a coincidence. Yeah, they, I think they went, okay, well, uh, the motion picture was a piece of shit. What the hell are we going to do next? And someone went, oh, you know what was a good episode? It was The Balance of Terror. That was a cool episode. And I think they, that's, they incorporated, like, all of the weird submarine shit they were doing. It's basically those aspects of Star Trek 2. Mm-hmm. They gave a, they gave the other ship a competent commander. They put him in a nebula so that they couldn't find each other, mm-hmm. etc. Yep. Well, well, they're a lot more talky-talky in that one. Uh, yeah. Actually, it would score worse, I think, because of that. Star Trek 2 yeah. would score worse because there's so much fucking Kirk and Khan masturbating each other. Yeah, and this one they don't talk to each other until the last 30 seconds, so. Yeah. When Mark Leonard, uh, self-destructs and does an incredible acting performance when that shit blows up. <laughs> yeah, it's it's weird how long that camera survived that, huh? <laughs> Long enough to see him go ah! and throw himself out of the picture. <laughs> so this is what good. you this is what you mean when you say you're not judging it against yeah. later productions because that was hokey. Yes, if I if I hold that against TOS, TOS will score worst every week because they just there's so I mean everyone in that episode did that. Uh, ben also thought while we're talking about execution that uh, Christopher Plummer must have watched both this and Wrath of Khan for his death scene in Star Trek Six, which is also has some. Some hey, similar look, elements. There's right? ships out there. They can't really. At least one of them can't tell where the other one is. And then two guy, two adversaries trying to outthink each other. So yeah, I agree. Um, what about world building, dog? What'd you have? I mean, there's definitely some, right? So we've got um, this whole uh, neutral zone, the treaty, all that Romulan war stuff we talked about. Mm-hmm. It only matters if you think you're going to see the Romulans again, but. Uh, there's no They're way to know. kind of setting it up like it's going to happen. Yeah, no way to know, but they were definitely, uh, there was some hardcore shit going on in this episode. Like, this is supposed to be a major adversary. Yeah. Uh, from the past, etc. Um, you know I love all this little business, like the regular reports to the base. Right. Uh, they do the ship's recorder thing again. I didn't give it new points for that, but I, I still like it. Uh, we've got the cloaking device. Uh-huh. Uh, we've got those big plasma torpedoes. Right, that uh, have a limited range. So they uh, we've got uh, deflector screens. Right. Uh, we've got that leather-bound table of comets in the briefing room. <laughs> yep. Which is, by the way, someone made that prop just so Spock could turn it away. <laughs> It'd be like, no, I know this comet. You know, generally the art department doesn't do that much on, on the original series. Everything looks kind of barren and stupid someone's got to make all of those uh data tapes yeah but yeah somebody every time by the way every time i see the stack of tapes sitting next to kirk's chair i'm like oh i would be fidgeting with those yeah i'd be shuffling them and shit he doesn't have any hand nervousness yeah exactly uh the phasers seem to explode like shells i don't know how i feel about that it was i don't think they necessarily knew what the hell was going on yeah they hadn't figured that out yet um, but it does mean that they can sort of blind fire, which I think works in the submarine part of this drama. Mm-hmm. Uh, the phaser coolants are bad news, apparently. Right. Uh, Romulans don't surrender. And then um, there's, a, there's a lot of business that we see here about sort of how the officers are cross-trained. Yeah. Like they send uh, Styles down to the phaser room and then just send Uhura to navigation. Yeah, that's the second time she's got to sit in that seat. Yeah, so clearly she's rated to uh, navigate. Right. So. 
that's, you know, I gave it a 7. I thought they did some world building. Yeah, I've got, uh, oh shit, Earth Outpost 4 is under attack. So, that is apparently an outpost and a naming convention. Yeah, but apparently those are all on the neutral zone. Yeah. Uh, this is the first mention of Romulans, obviously, right? Yes. Okay. Earth-Romulan conflict over a century ago apparently was fucking brutal. Uh, mm-hmm. Treaty unbroken since then. They've never seen a Romulan uh, in the flesh. Not only uh, this is the first appearance of Rom. Oh, it's not the first appearance of Romulans in the series. There was one in that Voyager episode. Yeah. Not only that. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Um, not only cloaking, but not being able to fire while cloaked. Mm-hmm. Uh, Romulan paint job. We already talked about that thing was badass. Uh, their outfits are also better than Romulan outfits in TNG. Oh, you like their um, I lo- weird carpet jacket and scarf I loved motif? It. I loved it way more than I... I don't even know what to make of what they wear in TNG. S- sash colors clearly indicate rank. Well, they're not all shoulder pads in this one, which <laughs> is a, a big improvement. Yeah. But why are but they... clearly ro- they like big checkerboard patterns. Yes. Why are they Romans, though? Yeah, why, though? But why? Are, but why did they make them Romans? Though? Yeah, but why? Well, like, why are their planets called Romulus and Remus? Why are then, they like, centurions? And why? Why is there a Praetor? And why are the, Why are they pursuing the Praetor's enemies? Why, well, but why though? Uh, yeah. Why and that's, how? Um, that's a good question. I had to say big negative world building points on that. This episode gets to have the credit, the ne- the negative points for the world it's, building on that because this it, is the first time we've seen them. It's real. You know, it is. Uh, it is a bizarre choice. That survives can forever. I, can I offer this as an explanation? You can try. So it's uh, Bigsby's pop postulate of parallel worlds or something. <laughs> That's you you get negative world building points. I mean we've seen we've seen they landed on a planet that was the nineteen forties. How is this dumber than that? Uh it's it's not. I just I just I know why. Why is their whole society Romans? That's all. Uh, and it's like, is that the is the Universal Translator acting up? Is that what is that what's happening I, there? Like, like it's been programmed with some kind of AI that allows it to like group things together into something like we'll a, understand. Oh, their hierarchy is like the Roman Empire. So yeah, like it was We're able to translate this title it. as Praetor and etc. But that's just doing so much explaining on behalf of the bad writing. Yeah, it's it's you're right though. The why? Why, why is it? Why? But but also but why? Yeah, got so, a, we got a sweet look at the phaser room though, and they did that thing where they warp backwards again. But the torpedo was faster. Yes. So I don't really know. I guess the plasma torpedoes go faster than the speed of light, so that's bad. Don't yes, want to get shot by those. There is some indication that the ships themselves perhaps cannot. I know. It's okay. It's l- not l- consistent, but I don't think they had figured out how warp speed worked. No, I think Scotty... First of all, we just heard them say the time barrier had been broken <laughs> about four episodes ago. I know. Didn't Scotty say they didn't? They only had sublight speed or something like that? He said they could outrun it. Their power is simple impulse. Simple impulse, okay. And I remember... But, but what does that mean? And I remembered from a, when I was a kid, thinking and reading somewhere that they had traded with the Klingons warp drive for cloaking technology. Yes, this was a fan theory. Okay, I didn't know if that was real. I just remembered it from when I was a kid. I don't know if it's... It it never appears on screen in a canon form, I think. I think that's right, yeah. So what happens is, for whatever reason, they don't reuse this model ever again. (sighs) Yeah, why not? I, I don't know. But the next time we see the Romulans, they're in three Klingon ships. Yeah. 
and then they have to explain why. And then it's just like, oh, they have had a technology exchange or something, yeah. and it's like, then the next time we see Klingons, which I think is in the movie, they can cloak. Right. I don't even think it comes up in the series that Klingons can cloak. Oh, not in this so one. It, yeah, not in TOS. So it's like, uh, okay. Well, yeah. I guess now the Romulans must have warp drive. Clearly the Klingons do. And, uh... Yeah. But it doesn't... So the real problem is, nothing about this setting makes any sense. For instance, are they inside the Romulan star system? Because the outposts seem to be close together, and they're on asteroids. Yeah. Yes. If they're inside the Romulan star system, then fine. The Romulans don't need warp drive. If they're not inside the Romulan star system, then the Romulans definitely need warp drive. This is what I was having a problem with yesterday. Is How is there a Romulan star empire if they can't reach other stars? Uh, exactly. It's a very good question. It's a pretty and lame empire if the empire consists of Romulus and Remus. So I will tell you where the German guy has landed on this oh, idea. Boy. Okay. Because you, you know that he has devoted thought to I it. I know, yes. His, uh, his position on this subject, and I agree with his position, is that the Romulans have warp drive. Okay. But, but perhaps they only have the same kind of reactors that power the Enterprise's impulse engines. Hmm. So maybe they only have fusion generators and they don't have matter-antimatter. Okay. It's a tough position because I don't know what, what to make of that here, though. Like, why does that? Why would anyone even bring it up? Nobody fucking thought about it. Yes, that's correct. Nobody was like, "How do how do the mechanics of this work?" Yeah, it was just a dumb thing to say. They wanted to give the Enterprise an advantage too, and they didn't know what to give them. Yes, I guess they gave them speed. Yeah, they could have just said that. Or faster. They could have just said that. The rest of of their advantages are based entirely on the fact that the Romulan sensors don't work well while they're cloaked. Right. Yeah. Alright, I mean, I figured, as always, it's it's based on some dumb throwaway line. But I just, you know, I was trying to figure that out yesterday. And the the world building for me got a six. There was some cool stuff, but I had to give them, I had some problems as well. So It's tough. It's um, one of the things where the fans have had to, over the years, do more work than the writers did. Yeah. And Ben had the same as you, where the phasers act like photon torpedoes. And um, that they mentioned Remus as well, which I had missed when I was watching it. So It's a real throwaway, and then on the sector map it says ROM 2. Oh, cool. Or ROM II. ROM I. Hard to say. Yeah. But th- is that... Is that supposed to be Remus? Do those denote two stars? It's not clear what that map is supposed to be. Alright. Uh, characterization. Um, so it was a five for me. Okay. Um, uh, by the way, I did end up giving an extra execution point. Oh, okay. Uh, to, to this episode, so I moved that up to a six. Uh, there's, uh... Kirk has a Pike-style Burdens of Command moment here with Bones that feels out of character. Yeah, uh, that's true. We had talked about this recently, how he and Pike were very, very similar, except for that one aspect. Well, here it is. Yeah. And I forgot about it because it's kind of a throwaway moment. Hmm. It doesn't seem to affect any of the decisions he makes. Uh, It was a chance to give McCoy some of that great dialogue. That's exactly what it is. Yeah. Uh, I thought Spock held up well in the face of the Navigator of the Week's terrible anti-Japanese hysteria. Yes. 
They gotta uh, fill that. They gotta lock that down. When's Chekhov get here? What's going on? Season two. All the guys they put there are dumb. Yeah, he doesn't appear till season two. Ugh. It's very sad. It's not like he's great. He's just there to be a racist stereotype, but it's, uh, <laughs> at least it'll be the same guy every week. Yep. And he looks like Davy Jones from the monkeys. And that's good enough. Hey, you know what? At least they got rid of that monster factory guy who was ugly and up my screen. They did. That guy was busted. Was, his face was busted was and his a, teeth were busted. It's a real problem. Um, and I also thought Bones' weird billions and billions speeches out of character here, but frankly, it still gets a five because, uh, Kirk and Spock are pretty good in this. Mm. And, uh, I mean, it's like, how can you say this episode has bad characterization when it has Mark Leonard oh, as the Romulan commander? Yeah, I can't, I can't judge him because yeah, he ain't going to show up again. But it's like he died. <laughs> but it's like, is this an episode with bad characterization? No, nope. it's not. Uh, I'm going to blow your mind here. I'm just going to throw it right out there. I, I gave, I gave this a ten. Oh my god! That's right. This is the this is the first ten I've god, given that's out. So for... rare. Characterization usually lags behind them, behind the other scores for all of the shows. I think. I don't think people tend to score a lot of points on characterization. Uh, it has the highest average for TOS. Oh really? Okay. Well, this is yeah, the one then. But it is lowest. No, it's, nope. It's not the lowest for TNG. All right. It. Um, I just had the feeling. It's only. It's only the lowest for Enterprise. Is world building usually the lowest then? Because. I feel like the back half usually scores badly. Well, let me just give it to you. Uh, For TOS, the lowest score average before this week was Execution. Okay. Uh, For The Next Generation, it was Execution. Oh boy, okay, never mind. (laughs) For Deep Space Nine, it was World Building. Okay. They haven't done much, right? And what they've done is bad, because what is Bajor? What is Bajor? (laughs) It's a good question. Uh, For Voyager, it's World Building also. They started strong. Yeah. Well, they've got nothing but opportunities. Yeah, but now they just go into caves and the and then the fucking Vidians are there. <laughs> yep. And it's like, stay out of those caves. By the way, I've never been able to remember the name of those aliens, despite the fact that we've seen them twice recently. Yeah, uh, and for Enterprise, it's characterization. Yeah, all right. So, uh, if you, I mean, if you total it up, execution is actually the... That's fine. That, that the makes worst sense. In TOS and TNG. Um, although by scores, the lowest by far is Enterprise's characterization, which has an average of 5.85 points. That's between us. Yeah. So. All right. Let me just break it down. I enjoyed, I enjoyed all the things about Kirk in this episode, the way he deals with Styles, the racist dummy. Uh, I enjoyed his moments where he was finally experiencing some self doubt. Yes, it was out of character, but this was a stressful situation. Yeah. Um. So he, so he lays some groundwork for a pretty serious episode with his ship announcements in the beginning. Where he just straight, is true. straight up tells the whole ship, like, this is the real deal, everybody. Announces to the crew that they are expendable. That's correct. Uh, I love the way he looks at him and he goes, their war. And then I put in, dumbass, because that would have been good. That's true. Uh, when the guy's being paranoid and crazy. Um, uh, let's see. The Bones, what if I'm wrong line. Uh and then the one final shitty duty for Kirk at the end where he's got to tell that lady or the one fatality in the episode was her fiance. Um, Spock is surprised, but like Mike Wilbon, he's playing it cool when that Romulan shows up on the screen. Yeah. He really is like, uh, I'm not surprised. Look, whatever we had our aggressive colonizing period. Maybe these are some offshoots. 
And uh, Warlike. In which case, they're hella dangerous, by the way. That's right. Warlike Spock is back in full effect in this episode. He's like, no, I agree with the racist guy. We have to eradicate these dudes. We must destroy them. Yeah. Um, I love the whole briefing room scene. That one that we were just talking about with Spock. Sulu. Oh, it is good. Style starts running his mouth, and Kirk's like, well, I wanted your opinion. Sulu seems like he's kind of on the ball. Uh, Styles is total asshole. Spock's all warlike. Galactic War in the balance. I thought that was a good scene. Um, and I liked McCoy's stuff because it was just so. I put it as they're digging really deep here, and it's going well. That's what I had written yeah. down. <laughs> McCoy's like there are bil- um, three million million stars or whatever, and only and of all the beings of the universe or whatever, only two like us. Don't hurt the don't kill the one named Kirk don't, or whatever. Don't destroy the one named Kirk. Don't destroy the one. Like named go Kirk. out there and do your thing, bro. Stop being such a puss. You're Kirk. And he goes out there and he does his shit. And uh, man, I just loved it. I loved the whole thing. I was into it. That's that's um, that's crazy. That's fun. <laughs> it's hen. And you know, sometimes this is exactly what you wanted out of these characters, is what you're saying. Yes, this is like the peak of. I'm not sure they could ever really top what happened in here. I'd have to. We'll, we'll see what happens in the other episodes, but. I mean, I think this is generally considered one of the better ones. So. It's just we've had a few moments like this where one that we recognized was coming up, and it was like, oh, okay, that might be good, I remember that one, and, and then, then it was like, was oh not. boy, this is a and real problem. Ben got so mad at Miri and at his young self for liking Miri. <laughs> That's right. Speaking of Ben, before you before you jump in, um, for a characterization, he, uh, he criticized Bones for not being very convincing, so he was sort of the opposite of me. He gave characterization a four. Yeah, and I was at about a five. Yeah. But again, you loved it. This is exactly what you wanted out of these guys. Yeah, that's it. That's my. This is my jam. This episode was my jam, everybody. Um, you must have some quick hitters. Yeah. Uh, first I was like, oh no, is this some dumb Data's Day shit? Because there was yeah, well, going to be a wedding. There's a wedding. I was like, oh, what? Why is this so lighthearted? I remember parts of this episode, but that did not last long. Nope. Um, he hey, didn't even actually get to marry them. No, like no. that would have made like it would have been more like less sad somehow if he'd gotten to marry them. Honestly, after I watched the episode, I had no idea what the point of any of that was. The opening scene is only there so he can walk through it to the communicator to be like, "What's up? What's on the bridge? What's up?" Yeah, but I did like. Um, and then in the end, I, I, I had this at quick hitters that he seems genuinely pleased to officiate the wedding. Dude, it's like his favorite his favorite duty. Yeah. Uh, oh, hey, Starbase 4, you say a space vessel attacked you? Yep. I never could have fucking guessed. Yeah, what else could... It's, it was a tank! It was a Sherman tank! <laughs> I couldn't believe the emphasis that I put on that. Um, I had worst actor guy on Starbase 4. Mm, he was a he real He was problem. not great. He was a problem. Uh, I had worst actor Tomlinson. Uh, yeah, Tomlinson won. He was not good in that scene, particularly in the scene in the phaser room in between the attacks. Yeah. Where he was like, well, I'm still your superior officer for now. I mean, I guess that actually kind of addresses that they're going to like some part of their relationship is going to have to change. Like maybe she won't be under his command anymore once they get married. That's true. You should get. Damn it. Is that a world building point? What is that? Damn it. That's world building. (laughs) God damn it. It's the kind I like to retotal everything up. Uh, uh, Ben had, uh, worst actor as Bones, so. 
just a no, fitting. I mean, ben and I sort of agree. I just didn't think that was worse than uh, than Tomlinson's unconvincing thing. But um, you know, Ben had best actor future Sarek. I definitely had best actor Mark Leonard. Yeah, he was pretty fucking awesome. I mean, he destroyed <clears throat> it in this episode. He was like uh, he was the Andreas Katsoulis of his generation. He really was, or uh, the name of the guy who plays Jatrell. We'll get to him. Yes, whoever that guy is. <laughs> Never knew his name. Uh, I, I looked him up recently. I still don't remember his name. This was some dark shit for TOS, dude. There was This was a dark episode. Um, yeah, this was for adults, this one. What was all this stuff about Romulan spies? Yeah, that was a weird leap, huh? Like, I know they don't know what they look like, but why would they be able to blend in necessarily? I love that, like... Like, if you don't know what they look like, how do you know that they could pull off being, like, hanging out in Starfleet ships? Styles is really clutching at a straw when he says there must be a Romulan spy aboard. Yeah, I didn't know. Because that. a ship has attacked the three nearest outposts to its home territory? Yeah, I didn't understand why he That was... does not seem to indicate the presence of a spy on the ship. Yeah. And then, what's weird about that is Sulu's like, I agree. <laughs> yeah, I know! It's well, probably a spy. What was even better is Sulu looks at him like he's gonna go, shut the fuck up, and then he goes, like, yeah, no, I agree. Yeah, like, Sulu was going to look at him and say, look, let's not get crazy and paranoid. My fucking great-great-grandfather was in an internment camp. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Maybe they felt like they needed Sulu to say he agreed so that even the Japanese guy could could be wrong about I, such this a thing. Is what I, I, I really felt like there was a missed opportunity to talk about that yeah. when they when they all had their little Spock freak out. I mean, Kirk, Kirk tells him that to leave bigotry in his quarters, but it's like, that's not much. No. You could have you could have gone a little deeper into this into the parallels here. Uh, we only see one blonde Romulan in TNG, and that's Sela, and she's half human. Yeah, uh, but there's one on Mark Leonard's bridge. It's that his, dude is blue eyed as hell too. I don't know how that what the if it's the lenses or the film or what, but in this show, everybody's blue eyes yes. fucking pop. <laughs> I think we talked about this uh, when they in the first episode of the Menagerie. How even the barbarian he was fighting in that fantasy had, like, the craziest fucking ice blue eyes. Yep. And this centurion uh, looks like he drinks two bottles of scotch a day. (laughs) Yeah. Like, he's jowly and his eyes are hella watery. But, uh, boy, if them blue eyes ain't pretty. Um, I gotta gotta get get them lenses, because I got blue eyes, and uh, they could be doing more for me. That's right. You You gotta walk around with the right lighting or something. That's something like that. Like, I gotta get that light reflected right into my blue fucking eyes. So people... Uh, oh, we're the eyeliner, too. It looks really bad look, on the blue sure. eyes. Yeah. Um, a lot of the stuff we already talked about, uh, so I'll skip forward a little bit. I did find myself shouting in the living room, No! Not his blonde friend! They were on a hundred campaigns together! Yeah, by the way, against who? I don't know, but I felt so bad when he lost his blonde buddy. Uh, I love the idea that the Romans have been really active all this time, and the Federation just has no idea. Who are they shooting at? I, yeah. We'll never know. Uh, I mean, the Remans, possibly. We know there's some trouble there. Yeah, we do know it from those horrible movies. From the diaper movies. Yeah. Um, then it really goes hard, Submarine, when both sides are on silent running. To the point where there was, it's like... Tense, like Spock's very quietly and carefully changing wires, and then he, but then he does the thing that actually would matter. He does something that causes like a huge sensor ping. Yes, like it's not just like all right, everybody's got to be real quiet in here because they can hear us through space. Yeah, then somebody's fucking ringtone goes off. That's Spock. That's what would happen now. Yes, 
be that coworker of yours who still has his phone on with an actual ringtone. You know, everybody has one. I used to work with this guy who had an offspring ringtone. Oh, boy. And, uh... uh which and one? Also, was it was Smash It Up? Hard of hearing. No, it was, um... Keep, keep them separated? No, Come it wasn't one of the... It wasn't classic offspring, it was later uh, offspring. Wow, okay. Anyway, it doesn't matter. I'll think of it eventually, but, uh... Uh... He was hard of hearing, so shit was always on maximum volume, and his wife called him five times a day. Yeah, just a keep going on that my old latina co-worker who i complained about in a recent episode for listening to her music super loud and hearing all the latin horns coming out of her headphones uh she one time walked away from her desk and she had a ringtone on and somebody called her like 15 straight times before i got up and went over and silenced her phone on her desk and felt like i had violated her privacy I'm afraid that I have done that. Both silenced people's phones and uh, muted people's computers. But what was I supposed to do? It just wouldn't stop. No, it's insane. It's insane. If you if your phone makes noise, uh, either by ringtone, or if you, if you, I swear to God, if your keyboard clicks, <laughs> if your fucking keyboard yeah. clicks, yeah, <laughs> <and you laughs> type <laughs> on it all day, you are an asshole. Yeah, that's that is for sure. Uh, back to this because we're already forty-five minutes into this episode. Oh, um, let's see. Uh, Spock running into the room full of gas. Very Star Trek Two as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see. This... Oh, by the way, that guy turns around on it so quick. Like he he came after me. He didn't have to come after me. I know he is. He is my best friend. We're we're blood. He he's an honorary Styles now. <laughs> you, he can hate the Romulans too. You're allowed, even though you got pointy ears like a Romulan. Uh, I have, this guy is almost the first cool Romulan. He's not quite cool enough. Uh, Mark Leonard. Like, Mark Leonard is super cool. This Romulan doesn't quite pull it off, but he's almost the first cool Romulan. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, stage acting for Mark Leonard, out. Uh, and then I, as the episode was, was ending, I shouted, show me brooding Kirk. And they did. (laughs) Yeah, of course. As he walks down the hall, considering his situation. So there you go. What do you got? Uh, last appearance of Yeoman Rand. Yes, and I think we talked and, about that last uh, week because it's out of order, right? And uh, when the, they think that plasma torpedo is going to do them in, Kirk gives her a little hug. Yeah, it's okay to just go up and hug the captain. Yep. Yeah. I mean, everybody on the bridge saw that. That's why she had to leave the ship. <laughs> now she's among among his discarded ladies. They were like, look, we all knew. Yeah. But... Uh, you can't be doing it on the bridge. They probably knew because they've talked about it like seven times. They probably knew because he probably made 15 log entries about it that we just didn't hear. And right as indicated previously, he does them on the bridge. That's right. In his chair. Um, yeah. Uh, super great episode, right? Yeah. Like, if every episode of every series had been like this, uh, this shit would be a joy and we would not have missed any weeks. <laughs> That's right. No, I wouldn't you know, be going into it well, but like I wouldn't be going if DS Nine was like this. I wouldn't be going into it every week. Going, I gotta watch a Deep Space Nine. This is a real problem. Yeah. So um, I've done the totals, Matt. Mm-hmm. Uh, I gave it twenty five points. That's really good uh, for this project. That is the highest I've ever given an episode. There you go. You gave it thirty points. That is out of a possible forty. That's so pretty... like, I'll grant you that's only a C. But that's by far the highest score you've ever given an episode. Yeah, I was going to say, I think that's a given that that's the highest one that I've awarded. I felt and, the best um, about it, too. I just felt good about it. Yeah, and 55 points uh, is the new high score. It displaces uh, Phage. 
Well, that makes or, me feel comfortable, too. Which had previously scored 50, and which I think we agreed was not pleasant to watch, right. but it tackled some issues. That's right. Which is why... I mean, it was fine. It, like, it, by far not the worst Voyager episode to watch, but like... Because that was Faces? We were surprised... Yeah, it was faces. We were surprised at the score. Yes. Uh, this was much less surprising. I, feel I gave it the high score. You gave it the high score. It was Ben's pick of the week. Yeah. I feel I feel comfortable having it on top. Sorry. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, the, hold on. The 23- hold on. Hold on. My Alexa keeps thinking I'm talking to it. I'm not talking to you. <sighs> All right. Sorry. Go on. Alexa, buy dollhouse. <laughs> it doesn't work because I changed it. It's a trigger word. Yeah. Um, yeah, 55 points, so off to a good start for the week, but hey, we watched four more episodes, maybe one of them will beat it. This week we watched 11001001. Amazing how I take that episode title for granted until you introduce it on a podcast. It's an stupid, it's a very stupid name, and the only reason that I know what it is and say it correctly every time is because i've seen it 50 times yeah and by the way it did not score super high for me but i would watch it a 50 more times i would i would have watched it 50 times this week i, I yeah. could watch it on loop um all right enterprise uh is in for some refit work uh some weird aliens are going to come on board and really uh tune up that computer system um these aliens they call the binars and they work in pairs for some reason uh, but the crew's got to, like, find some shore leave shit to do in the meantime. Uh, Riker goes to the holodeck and falls in love with the holodeck character and is mad distracted when those aliens steal the Enterprise. And then they got to try to figure out a way to uh, stop the ship from getting to the alien's planet or figure out what their evil plan is or whatever. Yeah, but twist, their plan was benign all along. Yeah, that's a kind of There, a there were no stakes. That's kind of a problem. No stakes. <laughs> Um, right. In the end, they have to help them restore their species. I'm gonna jump in. I gave this a two on take. Mm, I, um, I, I, I gotta hear. I gotta hear what the take is. I said, <clears throat> I said, where is the relationship between man and machine headed? Oh my god, is that what you think this episode was about? I couldn't figure out what it was about, dude. So it's a cold. Okay, so there are some points in the favor of that. It's a cold take. It's everybody. A, it's a question. T- Everybody talks nonstop about the binars. Yeah. And how crazy their civilization is, and they're in big trouble because of it. And also, Riker definitely wants to fuck a hologram. Yeah. Which is and asks her how far their relationship can go, although he's definitely asking if she has a holographic pussy. Yes, for sure. A hundred percent. There's no other way to take that, right? I don't understand what else he means. Like, does, does he just mean that can they go on more dates? That's not a thing. Yeah, because he like, can you actually fall I mean again? It's in my extensive quick hitters, but there's no other way to take that. Right. Uh, so, uh, so there are some points in the favor of that being the take. Yeah. So I, I uh, so it's a cold take and it's a question, which is why it scores so bad. And uh, the, uh, the only reason it's not a one is because it's it's at least an interesting question. Um, well, I know that it's it triggers on a particular fear of yours, well, which is that the robots are going to take over. A fear which your wife continues to prey upon with her Twitter posts. Yeah, she just tweets... Alright, anyway. She's constantly fucking trolling me with her with her tweets. Um, and then we got fucking Alexa over here constantly thinking I'm talking to it, but I'm never talking to it. It's just lonely yeah. like the toaster in Red Dwarf. <laughs> um, Echo, 
Buy toaster. Okay, good. I can't hear you through my through my headset. Okay. I did wait. I waited to see. Um, but so yeah. So I mean, we talked about it a little bit. Uh, they're they're the binaries are connected to their computers in a way that the crew find kind of alien esque. Yet most of the episode takes place on the holodeck, where Riker and to a lesser extent Picard have a profound experience with technology. Riker ends up all messed up over it. And given where technology is headed, or was headed in 1986, and where it is in the fictional 24th century, uh, it's definitely going to be a bigger and bigger part of our existence moving forward. So fine, feel free to take a stab at this question, Star Trek. But take a stance. Yeah, exactly. Is it going to be good? Is it going to be bad? Like, the Star Trek take is that it'll be good and okay. It seems like it, yes. <laughs> right? Yeah. That will be the Star Trek take on this. Yeah. Is that man will figure out how to, how to handle this. Uh, there's a TOS episode, The Ultimate Computer. I think that's in season three that might cover some of these themes. We've got Measure of a Man. We've got um, Oh, well, in TOS, they run into about seven computers that control an entire planet or something, right. or something like it. Oh, that's true. In TOS, it's all the time. And by the way, it's always bad. It's fucking Landru, too. It is, it's always Landru, <sighs> fucking, and it's always bad. Fucking Landru. All right, what did you have for the take? Uh, so, so here's where we're in trouble, because I have um, two possible takes. Okay. They scored the same number of points, so it doesn't matter. Okay. Um, neither of my possible takes is the one you had. All right. So, here is my take on this. Okay. The ends justified the means, sure. or idle hands are the devil's plaything. Sure. So, I, I, out of those, I'd have to pick the first one, because I feel like it has more to do with what they might have intended. I don't know if they intended... I don't know if you could rationalize that they intended the second one. Okay. Either way, that's a four. Yeah. I think those are both uh, four takes. Because, but first of all, they're both aphorisms. Yep. And second of all, that neither one of them is particularly Star Trek. Yeah. So let me just jump into execution here. Sure. So again, I have two takes, so there's two executions. Okay. We are running into a problem. Yes. For <laughs> the ends justify the means. Yeah. Right. Everyone is pretty satisfied with the Binar's reasoning at the end. Yes, uh, disturbing. But so. no one, no one is more satisfied than Riker. He, uh, I think he's just happy he didn't lose the Enterprise. Yeah, I you imagine so. how embarrassing it would have been if they'd never tracked it down, or if it had been destroyed or something, and it was because he was chilling on the holodeck. Yeah, he never would have lived that down. Uh, and uh, they never would have found Picard and Riker. So yep. it would have been bad for Data. <laughs> yes, it would have been. He was having like a crisis. Definitely, Philippa Louvois would have had him up yeah. for a court-martial, because if if the captain and first officer are both missing, yeah. the second officer's gonna get court-martialed. And his explanation, well, I was painting, and then... It's not, uh, it's not good, go good. All the alarms went off, and I got off the ship. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, although, frankly, the person who is responsible for this is Jordy. We'll discuss that later. Okay, good, I can't wait. Um, in support... Or to talk about the execution of Idle Hands or the Devil's Plaything. Riker's happy-go-lucky doofus tour of the Enterprise yeah. leads directly to his being trapped in the holodeck. Yes. And then he's super cool just hanging out there. Everyone is very trusting. Well, okay. We'll talk about it again. But Riker does give a Riker sense about the aliens. He does, but he ignores it. But then completely he ignores puts, it. He puts Wesley on the case and then leaves. It's not a good episode, everybody. It's just just so unbelievably entertaining. Um, and that's the that's why I gave the execution as high as a six in either case. Because, frankly, 
I love watching this episode. <laughs> so it executed it, in that way. I'll watch it 50 more times. <sighs> yeah, I uh, I gave it a four. Do you, by the way, do you you think that the ends justify the means is the better take here? I think it's the better take because I feel like it's possible they might have... In- no, they wouldn't have intended that. I don't know. It is the take that Ben thought this episode had also, by the way. All right, let's call it two votes then for that. Yeah. Um, um, but he thought that was about a five take. I actually think if that was clearly the take, it's it's not as good as a five. That's not a Star Trek take. No, it's pretty cynical. It is. It's too cynical for Star Trek. It's it's like all of the bad parts of Picard's Prime Directive episodes. Yeah. Um. So for execution, plot holes abound. The consequences mm-hmm. are close to nothing for the crew, who pretty easily mm-hmm. get the ship back and aren't even mad about it. Every yep. part of the Binar story is total nonsense. It's very bad. It's like this week they just didn't have a scientific consultant. Yeah, execution of my dumb question was fine because I reverse engineered it, but execution of the story was really poor, despite yeah. my incredible enjoyment of this cheesy season one episode. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's... it's. I don't know. I mean, what's the best one? Is it Arsenal of Freedom as, uh, <laughs> as the uh, magic... Magic cloaks. Suggest we or shall is it see. this episode? Well, I, well, no, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. There will be so much to say about that later. Exactly. Um, uh, so you had it as a four. I had it as a four. Um, so Ben, let me see what Ben had to say. So you're right. He had ends justify the means. Uh, he did have an interesting point that we know how Starfleet works, and the binars will probably be released with a warning. Oh, for sure. Which I think is a given. Oh, for sure. It's a I slap mean, on the wrist maximum. If anyone's getting in trouble for this, it's Quinteros. Oh, yeah. Well, he should get in trouble because he's handsy. Yeah, he's the... By the way, he's <laughs> he's Kaczynski, too. I know he is! I can't believe just, they did this again! He brings his alien on board, and then there's... Oh, whoops! <laughs> Shit goes wrong! Thanks a lot, Kaczynski and Quinteros. Oh, and he's yeah, definitely handsy. He's for sure he's handsy. So it's handsy. so gross what he does to Tasha later. I don't later. like it. It's very uncomfortable. It's um, extremely unsettling. For world building, I gave it a two. Start. Okay, we'll have to talk about that, because I think it did more than that, but some of what it did was bad, so that may be what's happening. I'm always open to being swayed here. Um, Starbase 74 in orbit of Tarsus 3. I feel like we were recently in the Tarsus system. Were we not? I feel like that came up recently. It was bothering me. Well, I kept we, were on ta- we went to Talos 4. Sure, yeah, maybe that's what I was and thinking then of. Just... Last week, we were on another T-planet in one of these... Um... Hmm. Uh, well, anyway, it I, was bothering I, me. I sometimes write them down, but yeah, I'll you're just, right. I'll just keep going. Uh, Parisi Squares is a sport. And um, I guess the only thing that would suggest that this is going to come up about 50 more times is that we see they have Parisi Squares uniforms. They're straight up in uniform and they're going as a team. Yep. Uh, like, they, they give us nothing about Parisi Squares except that it throws off the rhythm if you substitute people in. Yes, that's right. Riker doesn't want to get involved, and you can tell he just doesn't want to, but he makes some excuses about why he doesn't want to, and one of them is that it'll ruin the rhythm of the game if they keep having to sub people in and out. Yep. Um, holograms even have smells, which I think we actually covered last week with that night-blooming Ernest Borgnine or whatever it was. That's, that's correct. Uh, why does the physical image of Minuet disappear from the holodeck after the whole farce is over? It makes no sense. Is it just the Binar's way of getting back at Riker for being a dick the whole time? Because it's like... Well, okay. 
Were they like, ha, 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 she's not so, in there anymore, fat boy? This this image of her is created in response to a to an insane <laughs> request even, by Commander Riker to, more to make her look more sultry. I can't even believe it. How does the computer parse that? How well, does it go? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I know what that looks like. The computer's not like, fuck you. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's just like, okay. Yeah, yeah. about this. This action. Check out this. Ooh, she's got auburn hair. I like that. She's mm. not a blonde anymore. Mm. Uh, so maybe because she's not one of the... F- I don't, it doesn't make any sense. Because if the computer can, on its own, be like, oh, you want Bourbon Street Bar in 1958 at 2 a.m.? Yeah. Cool, 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 cool. But it can't... I don't know. It doesn't make a lot of sense. No. Like, first of all, they left that shit running. I know. At what point did it get deleted from RAM? That's why I think it's on purpose. I think the Binars did it just to fuck with him. Yeah. But I think it's the only explanation, is that they went, nope, not today. The Binars were like, he asked about our gender, let's fuck with him. <laughs> yeah, and um, if I'm him, I spend so much of my real life troubleshooting technology, I would definitely be trying to recreate her. I'd be saying uh, like, the same exact things, trying to get the computer to run the same calculations... But he like, just hey, goes, computer, oh, did she's you, different. Did you, did you already run garbage collection? <laughs> yeah, if not, happened? can we get her back? Can we go to an earlier version of this program? What is the deal here? <laughs> computer, control Z. <laughs> uh, let's see. There's a bunch of auto-destruct sequence stuff. The five-minute timer that they need two guys to enter the auto-destruct. All that stuff. Um, a star in the binar system went supernova and they miscalculated. Huh? Yeah, that's the big problem here. What does um, that mean? The star went supernova, and there's going to be an EMP, but as long as they can get past that, as long as they can get their computer past that EMP, everything's just going to be, like, so cool. This is a supernova. Oh, whoops. The entire planet was turned into a ball of rapidly expanding plasma? (laughs) Fine. Even if you... Even if you take that the writer didn't know what a supernova is, or how far away he should put one... Right. Uh... It's not good, man. No, here is the thing. When does that EMP hit? Yeah, I'm waiting. Because you took Enterprise to the home planet. You took them there. You transferred the data up. Yep. We saw that all happen. Yeah, yeah. We never see the supernova hit. Right. Picard and Riker figure out the magic password. Yes, they do. They transfer it back and restart the computer. And then they chill there Everyone's like, you saved us. Then they fucking head right back to the starbase at warp 2. If the supernova didn't hit yet, the binars are now dead. That's right. You didn't really solve their problem. <laughs> if it did hit, it didn't even make the Enterprise shake. Yeah, I I just didn't know what to do with. I didn't know what to do with it. It's very, it's very, very bad. And I didn't know how much to penalize them for a dumb throwaway line, but it was so unnecessary to say that. Yes, you could just say they're having their whole their whole civilization runs on computers, and there's a computer virus, or the computers are breaking. You don't even have to say why. Yeah, it just, we need to do a cold restart. Yep. Um, Yar tells Worf to get a security team together, which sounds like her job, but... It is her job, but also, is to he, do what? Is he already cross-training in security? Was he already moving in that direction? I think they I think they pigeonholed him for security, because he's a Klingon. Because he's a Klingon, that's fucking racist. You see him in the beginning, he's trying to get experience all over the ship. He He's boning up, dude. He's in he's, the sensor room. He's, he's at the back. He's doing sensor repairs, and racist-ass Geordi is like, what are you doing here? <laughs> yeah, you're Klingon. You go, don't shoot the phasers from here. Go get a phaser, you dummy. <laughs> yeah, everyone's hella racist to Worf on this ship. Um, I gave it a two. Go have weird, aggressive sex. What are you doing here? 
I gave it a two. There's some stuff in here, but there's a lot of negative stuff in here. And I was maybe I penalized him too much. I don't know. I'm I'm open to changing it depending on what you have. I've got a few other things. Okay. Um, this is uh, I think the first and maybe the only time we see airlocks and docking ports. It does not come up a lot, certainly in TNG. Um, the established evacuation procedures is a nice look. People are pretty calm about it too. Uh, yeah, everyone's they've clearly run drills. Mm-hmm. One thing I did not like about this is the Enterprise has at least twenty transporter rooms. That's a shit ton. Because they tell like the the thing, if you listen to it, it's like Trans- decks sixteen to thirty one, report to transporters fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, yeah. eighteen. It's like Jesus. Why do dog. they have so many? And that doesn't count the cargo transporters, because that's where they send the people of the top decks. Why but why what reason could they have to have so many? It seems like too many. Is one Unless of its main jobs to like evacuate colonies or something? I just I don't understand why it would need in that the many. in the technical manual. Uh, is that canon? Is not canon. Okay. It does say that the Enterprise can evacuate up to five thousand people. But is that one of its main roles? Because unless it's one of its main roles, I don't think you would design the ship to just be chock full of transporter rooms. Twenty seems like too many yeah. for sure. Um. One thing that I think is interesting when they're presented with something like, uh, in previous cases, a dying race, mm. or in this case, a technologically dependent civilization like the Binars, is that it, they always treat it like it's a vague curiosity. Mm. Like, this shit isn't mind-blowing to them. You've heard all about these technical, technically interdependent races. That's right, yeah. These guys are one of them. Like, oh, those, yeah, 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 I got you. Weird. Uh, I think the like the only time we'll see some really weird shit is maybe the trill. They don't respond well to that. Yeah, they got some weird. They got some hangups. And maybe the genderless people. Although I think. No, I think they're mostly cool. Most with everybody's it. cool with it. Riker can't keep his shit together, so that's why he's not. Riker just happens to fall in love with one. Yeah, because he's the Riker. <laughs> yeah. Um. What else do I have for world building? No other ships nearby. It's fucking wouldn't be Star Trek. Yeah, but if there they, was another ship. They nearby. say that there's another ship that can be in the area, but it'll take days or it's whatever. Sixty-six hours. Yeah, right. There are three ships in dock, but they're not ready to go. <laughs> then take eighteen hours to get one ready. Damn, dude. Well, I mean that makes sense. They this just had those things to, stripped Enterprise down. is there for an overhaul. That must be what they do here. Yeah, I guess. And the self-destruct record world. Um, I thought it was about a four. I didn't penalize it too much for the bad science because. If you replace that with any other explanation for what the binars need, nothing about the story changes. That's true. So the bad science doesn't drive anything. Yeah, I was afraid I was penalizing them too much for that and Minuet and some of the other stuff that was just dumb about this. I just frankly, I didn't know what to do. Frankly, we're going to see a supernova not make sense again yeah. in the Star Trek reboot. In the reboot? Oh. Yep. We don't have to talk about that ever, do we? With the red matter, etc. That well, that is a and, garbage film. And they they just can't get there in time to save Romulus, but like either the supernova was so far away that they would have had years and years and years. Or the supernova was in the Romulan system, in which case, what were they supposed to do? Yeah. So uh supernovas in Star Trek don't make no sense. Yeah. So I gave it a four. Like I mean I didn't think they did a good job with world building. I'll tell you what, just to be charitable. I'll give it a three, because I was worried about maybe I was penalizing them too much. Yeah, it doesn't matter. You've given it a two and a four, and now a three. It's, it's not going to upset the weak. <laughs> no, it's not. I don't think this one's in in competition for the uh, the fucking prize. 
Um, Ben uh, did bring up some stuff. Uh, specifically, the Binars are sort of an early benign imagining of the Borg being so tied to technology. They're almost like cyborgs, it's true. Yeah, sort of. They got I mean, it's affected their language. And Picard says their way of thinking, but everybody spouts crazy dialogue in this one. Picard so. says some bonkers shit in this episode. He doesn't take the cake, Riker is going to get that one. We'll get to it in quick hitters for sure. Uh, what did you have for characters, characterization? Uh, I gave it a three. Boom. So, uh, I mean, obviously, Riker caught feelings for a video game character. Yeah, he did. I mean, that's what this is, right? Yes. He played a this video game. This is like game. if you were like, fuck, man, I don't know. I keep thinking about Ayla the Huntress. I can't stop. I, I just like... Sometimes I think about her even in her werewolf form. <sighs> she has sworn to carry my burdens. It's true. And it's like... <laughs> what? Yeah, dog. What, though? Hey, Riker, get your shit together. Come on. Like, I had some good conversations with her about what it means to be a werewolf and to, like, whether it's a gift <laughs> or a curse. And, like, I feel to like be in her scenes, hunting grounds at the end of time, etc. Don't et judge me. I feel like she's realer than people I know in real life. Yeah. Well, but Matthew, isn't that how love always begins? No, With don't say it! More real than the woman? That's so hard to listen to. <laughs> oh. Fucking Picard. Oh, how typical. What does that even him. mean? Dog, it doesn't mean shit. It means that the love scenes in this episode were written by George Lucas. Oh, God. So this is like five minutes where Riker talks about how he hates sand. It's terrible. <laughs> yeah. So you weren't a fan of the characterization. So I didn't like Riker fall in love with a video game character. Although, um, uh, I don't know, maybe this is the place to talk about it. So we've talking about Broken Riker. Yes. Right? His first real failure is in uh, Hide and Q. He blows it big time, falls on his dick. He's ashamed of himself, and because Picard was cooler than him, he's like... It really hurts his ambition to be a starship captain, etc. And then Haven comes along. And then, yeah, and then his personal life is in turmoil. And his personal life falls <laughs> to shit, and the whole time he's hearing from Troy and her fucking new boyfriend... Who, Big Dog seems how, so good. ...how he wants to command a starship, right? Yeah. And then... <clears throat> like, did you listen to Minuet's conversation with him before Picard shows up? Oh, yeah, dude. It's like 90% about how lucky he is to know what he wants to do and where he wants to be and to be there. Yeah. And it's like, oh, dog, she is telling him not to leave this ship and take a command. Yep. Like, this is... And then, by the way, he falls in love with her. Uh, to the point that she will come up again. It's oh, so crazy. Oh, by the way, we're so many years away from this, <clears throat> but not only does she come up again, the way he plays it off in that episode is hilarious to me. Oh, yeah, he's straight up like, oh, I was in love he's with like, her, for sure. He's like, you're stupid for thinking that the video game character I was fantasizing about was a real person, dummy. Yeah. And it's like, dude, that means you're a fucking weirdo. And <laughs> simulation of Tom Tomalock is like, those... She was very real to you. It was impossible. We knew this would work. She was a real person. He's like, just a fucking robot thing that I tried to bang. That's all. He's like, I straight up, I asked her if she had a puss. <laughs> it's like, how can you play that off cool? You are such uh, a dork. All right. Anyway. Picard, the virgin, is really cock blocking him here. Oh, yeah, he is. And Riker was like, what can he do? He's like, yeah, stay. Fuck it. Of course, he figures he's going to be able to call this program up whenever he wants. Yeah, I'll just fuck her later. I'll fuck her later. Yeah. 
uh, Data, uh, who has no emotions, yeah. deeply ashamed of losing the Enterprise. Yeah. Real existential crisis for him. You know, there was some Data in this, but I was glad there wasn't that much. It's like, oh man, like when I'm dicking around painting or practicing sneezing in my in my bedroom. Yeah, I'm not on the ship, and I'm not on the bridge, and like, and I don't have a good I'm excuse because not... I don't need downtime. Yeah, like fuck it, I could have been there. Yeah, is my pursuit of humanity. Making but it's all stuff that doesn't make sense unless he has emotions. Exactly correct. That's why everything that has to do with data makes characterization go down. Because it's like, when he's giving the order to evacuate the ship, he tells them, based on the information we have, it is the correct decision. Yep. Uh, anyway, I gave it about a three for characterization. I don't think anything good happened character-wise here. All right. Well, I think you're wrong. Because Uh-oh. Worf will win at Parisi Squares, no matter the cost. Okay, I that's true. I think he expects to die out there. It could be. And or he would be happy if he did. And his great comment about keeping score, I mean... I love Worf. Then why keep score? I love Worf so much, even in season one. Season one, Worf is pretty good. He's kind of amazing, but in later seasons, you see a lot more of him being very frustrated by things. Yes, he is much cooler in season one. Maybe he has, like, mean, he has like less a, responsibility. Like a door or whatever really frustrates him, <laughs> or when he can't sleep and he's going to kill himself with a poison knife or whatever. But sure, things uh, like that. Yeah. If he can't get a door open, it's a real bummer for him. But he's chill in season one because I think less, okay, less right. responsibility. Um, I'll give him that. Uh, okay, this isn't good, but Yar is sporty and sexy, everybody. Yeah. Um, That's what they're trying to pitch. In the beginning of the episode, Riker's on the ball, real suspicious of the binars. But will it this... Gives that, up, gives that up right away. Will this be his last battlefield, is what I had written. But I think I mean, is he going to lose his shit again? It's the last instance of him on the ball, you mean? Yeah. It's arguable that this thing could break him permanently, and we'll see whether it happens or not, because what happens to him in this episode is fucking tragic. I'm really curious if he's going to catch his third wind. Like, Troy is out of the game now. Yeah, yeah, Because in Haven, she realized she didn't need him. Yep. Uh, he doesn't believe in his command ability. I'm just... And now he fucking... He done fell in love with a hologram. And also, she's just gone. I can think of some more challenges coming his way, and I just don't know if he's going to get his shit back before those challenges, or if he's yeah. just already done. Um, Riker, at the end of the episode, storms up to the bridge to declare in front of everybody that Minuit's gone, and he will never love again. Yeah, it's real bad. Jesus, dude. Everyone's on the bridge. Hey, they can fucking hear you. And also, by the way, the fucking wise-off trio of Worf, Data, and Geordi don't say shit. Dude, what would you say? That's so awkward. I don't know, dog. Why do they turn to each other all the time and talk while the captain's in the middle of a tense briefing or whatever? <laughs> see, they're, they're, see, in those situations, they're trying to diffuse the tension with comedy, but in this situation, they are trying to avoid it entirely. Yeah, they're trying to very hard. I mean, it doesn't make sense that Data would, right. because he would be like, please continue the petty bickering. <laughs> right. But, uh... <laughs> Everyone's like, I didn't hear that. I don't want to talk about I it. I mean, I can understand Borf and Jordy <laughs> being like, nope, nope, what? Not nope, gonna touch wasn't, it. I'm sorry, I was not paying attention. <laughs> I was fiddling with settings on my panel. Uh, let's see, Beverly is downright horny about talking to Dr. Epstein about... About cybernetics, of si all things. Science, I had, I don't know. And Data, Data showed her where his off switch was, and now she is on and for the, cybernetics. The incident on Matromius, or whatever she said. Yeah, I don't know what she's correct. talking about. Um, she's out of an approach for situations like that that combines cybernetics with, and I tuned out, I don't know what it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
poor Jordy apparently spends all his free time watching Data Paint. Yeah, that's a tough it's a bummer. That's hard. And and by the way, totally cool, totally cool in the 24th century to make cracks about him being blind. Oh boy, yeah, Riker. Uh, Riker makes a joke that nobody thought was funny. Yeah, except himself. Oh, Riker thought it was. Funny. Yes, he thought it was. And a I think great Frakes joke. did too. <laughs> he did too. He makes a joke about a something about a blind man teaching a robot how to paint or something. I don't know what it was about. Yeah. It's got to be worth a couple of chapters in somebody's book. And they both look at him. Jordy looks at him like he's going to punch him. Yeah. And I go, yeah, that's fair. You should punch him, probably. Yeah, Jordy should say under his breath, breath cracker. <laughs> that's right. Data uses his determined voice and face when deciding or when declaring that the evacuation is not a drill. Yep. It's very determined. Uh, and then, yeah, Picard, isn't that always the way it begins, though? With the illusion, more real than the woman? That's very bad. Don't I don't know what it means. I just don't know why he said it, what it's supposed to well, mean. It's because he's he's never had sex. I know. He's he's guessing. He's he should have said that her breasts feel like a bag of wet sand. Yes, or is that what he says in the forty? It's like a version? bag of sand. And then later on, he's riding his bike. Oh, bag of sand! Oh God! <laughs> you can't believe he said it. Uh, all things considered, really enjoyed Riker and Picard as besties in this episode, and what little of Worf we saw. It is nice to see him fuck around. So I gave it a six. No, I did. I just enjoyed. Those aspects of it. I mean, I can't argue too hard because the only reason that the last episode got a five was because of Mark Leonard and he's not in the cast. <laughs> I mean, look, Riker and Picard are buffoons and Picard is a crazy person and decides that self-destruct is plan A. Yeah. But I just enjoy them hanging out together, walking down the hall all determined. I just, I liked it. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Um, um, man. Ben. Uh, let's see. Ben had a couple of cool things in here. Riker's so hapless. He clearly has no hobbies, so he has to make up the bar scene just to practice. I mean, if he really liked playing the trombone, he wouldn't need an audience, which is a good point. Yes, but also he doesn't have an audience. Well, that's true. He creates a venue, but he doesn't create the audience. Even in that bar, he only wants one woman in there. And, by the way, it's not so she can hear him play the trombone. Uh, and then, sort of like we already talked about, Data wonders what his real role is among the crew, always on duty, but it's not really explored much. Seems like this could be good, but they don't do anything with it. But I'm actually happy with that, because I don't need any more Spiner in my life. Yeah. <laughs> oh, tough. You're going to get a lot more. I know, I don't have a choice. Uh, quick hitters. Yeah. I have so um, many, and I'm sure you do too. Oh, I have a bunch. I just got a bunch and a bunch. Well, um, you go first. Okay, uh, right up at the top, Picard congratulates Riker for bringing the ship into dock. Yeah. I, that ought to be, that ought to be pretty routine, like, like the autopilot should be able to do it, right? Honestly, I couldn't even figure out what it was. I have, what is Picard telling Riker good work about, or good work about when they get off the turbo lift together? I didn't even know. That's uh, very crazy. Um, the Binars. Yeah. Their names are 10 and 01. That's very confused. It's going to be a problem. That's hack. But also, that means those numbers are 1 and 2. Yes, that's uh, there must not be a lot of them on that planet, huh? I was going to say, it's going to be a real problem. We're like, hey, 2. Yeah, it's me. It's also all of us. Like, half of us yeah, are no, 2. It's literally one half of us are 2. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and by the way, they never tell us what the other two binars' names are. I presume they're one one and zero zero, but they don't say. Right. Um. Um. 
I mean, Riker says this. The Bidons seem perfect for this, even though this is the first time that I've ever come in contact with them. Why would you write it? And then when you say it out loud, why would anyone go? Wait, what did he say? <coughs> wait, wait, what did he say? What did he say right there? Play that back. Why would he? No one would ever say the that. seem perfect for this, even though this is the first time that I've ever come in contact with. <laughs> but why would you say it though? No one would ever say that. That is exactly that. It reminds me so much of not that many episodes ago when Q goes, "Ah, the redoubtable Commander Riker, whom I noticed before." <laughs> and you're like, what? What does that mean? Why did he say the that? The Bionic perfect for this, even though this is the first time that I've ever come in contact with <laughs> It's so awkward. On paper, someone wrote that. I don't get it. I don't. The dialogue monster has infected lives. this show to its very core. Like, it is. It lives in TNG. That's worse than the stupidest thing that's been said in any of the other series. I agree. That, is... that may be worse than the thing in the briefing studies, the thing about them in the briefing studies or whatever. Yeah, like what? <sighs> the binars seem perfect for this, even though this is the first time I've ever come in contact with them. A... Wrote a third grader? That's the most awkward presentation of that thought. That's worse than anything in Star Trek The Next Daylight. Oh, obviously, yes. A nine-year-old wrote a much better Star Trek. Ugh. Oh. Right. Okay. I got a real question. Okay. Um... What is a personal relaxation light, and why does it make Riker smirk so much? Is it a sex thing? Picard was just the most excited I've ever seen him about that personal relaxation light. His plan for his time off he is like, to go to his quarters, turn on his personal relaxation and light. And he rubs his palms together and looks all excited. And read a fucking novel, and Riker's got a big shit-eating grin. <laughs> do they got jack-off lights, is what I'm asking. I don't know what they do. I don't know a how they... A personal en- relaxation light. I don't know how they enhance the experience, but it seems pretty impressive. <clears throat> uh, the binars act like they've been caught watching porn when Riker asks why there are four of them now. Okay, yes. Uh, but, you know... Whatever. They're not subtle. So, and again, not that impressive that Riker's on their case, like, on the game there. Because they're super not subtle. Because they act real guilty. Yeah. Um, long, cold open. It's over five minutes long. Okay. Uh, I liked Riker just touring the ship and discovering that everyone is more interesting than he is. Yeah, so as Ben pointed out, he has fucking yeah. nothing to do. When Riker enters the holodeck, the uh, background music that plays, I've been thinking of as Troy's theme. Because hmm. it's like, I think it comes up in Haven. It's just sort of the general love theme for TNG for season one. Uh, maybe that's what it is, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um. Let's see. Uh, uh, the holodeck knows what makes a lady sultry. Yes, indeed. That's insane. <laughs> yep. It's so insane. It's weird that when he says... But computer, blondes and jazz <laughs> never go together, in my opinion. It's like, okay, here's a redhead. Yeah, it is able to figure <sighs> out that that sentence means no blondes. Okay, fine. Cool. Th- that's that's fine. not that hard. Yeah. But then when more sultry, more sultry, and it's just like, yeah, I got it. I'm on it. That's minuet. That is incomprehensible. Um, there's a long cutaway to the binars programming the holodeck and then when it comes back Riker asks her what she's doing in a computer generated gin joint like that was he silent that whole time because he was trying to think of that p- pickup line it's very important he has the right because he line. says something to her 25 second cutaway where he's not talking then it comes back and he tries that one out 
it's important he has the right line when he's approaching a, a image made entirely of light. Um, did the Binars program minuet to reinforce Riker's complacency about serving under Picard? But why? I don't know. I don't know either. Like, why would they? I don't know. And then when Picard comes in, right, she's like, the conversation's been about him indirectly. Yeah. Because it's like, oh, it's been about how he knows where he wants to be. And Riker does not correct her at all. He's like, yeah, basically. He's like, yeah, I, I love the guy. I mean, I love him. <laughs> yep. Uh, Picard says it's like something he might have chosen himself. What a fucking liar. But then, like, they're probably not much difference to him between 1940 San Francisco and 1958 New Orleans. It's also, it's all of a period that was many hundreds of years ago or whatever. Yeah, I mean, can you imagine it'd be like, no, uh, I'm visiting 1630 Genoa. I'm not visiting 1650 Rome. Idiot. Dumb, dumb. Yeah, maybe. Um, is Patrick Stewart the only Englishman who doesn't speak French? His French is so bad in this. Like, there's not a hint of a French accent. He's just saying the words. I've wondered forever why he's French. Like, why it was important they made the character French. Because they didn't hire anybody to do French stuff, and it doesn't really come up in the story except every once in a while to go, hey, yeah, he's French. And you're like, yeah. yeah he plays Frere Jaca in the episode where he's, I mean, he sings it in Disaster and then yeah. he plays it in uh, Lessons. Yeah. But like, I just, like, there's no great point. Who cares? I mean, he gets to go to that vineyard and fight the other Englishmen. Yeah, but that, that all comes up later where they're just like, oh yeah, yeah What happened French. to France? Yeah. Did the English finally take over at some point? It sounds like they conquered Is that it. part of World War Three? Yeah. <laughs> Um, why doesn't Jordy want the captain to know about a failure in the antimatter containment system? Sounds important. Like, when Wesley calls and tells him that they're losing containment, he's like, don't bother the captain. He's... Data, Data and I, none of, neither of us is the chief engineer. Data and I are going to go to engineering. Don't bother... Don't say shit. Don't bother him. He's got his relaxation right. light on, for all I know. <laughs> captain is with his personal jacked. relaxation light, and you do not interrupt somebody when they're doing that. Yeah. Um, engineering is abandoned when they get there, but there's like five cutaways to engineering during Data's abandoned ship order. Yeah, they all... Like, they definitely show a bunch of people in engineering listening to that message. One guy peered in, saw two bridge officers there, and went, Oh, shit, they caught us. We were all out to lunch. Everybody come back to engineering right now. (laughs) Oh, fuck, we were going to turn the Master Systems display table into a ping pong table. (laughs) That's right. Uh... Kinteros is, uh, is real handsy. He's also lucky he didn't get Aikido flipped like Luton's boy did. He's supposed to like point her in the direction of the Enterprise, which is leaving Space Dock. So he grabs her by the arm and he goes, look, she's leaving. And he fucking manhandles her over to him. And he won't let go. And Denise Crosby doesn't know what to do. She does not react to it at all, but, like, Tasha Yar would react to that. That's a really weird She's from way. the planet of Rape Kings? I know. You definitely don't grab her upper arm and drag her somewhere. It was just so... It was a really weird acting choice. It's very bad. Ugh. Quinteros. Come on, buddy. Um, they do, they do uh, like, a sinister empty corridor shot, but they did not bother to uh, straighten the carpets. No. So that they weren't all bunched up or pick shit up off of the carpets. Really? So, 
Uh, like, how lazy is that? Yeah. Uh, I also thought it was gross in this scene where Picard and Riker are talking about Minuet while she's fucking sitting there holding Riker's hand. Well, she ain't a like, real person. They, they do a lot of, oh, she's she's so lifelike. And then he's like, ah, it's, I know, man, it's crazy. And then he does his, uh, isn't that how love always begins speech? But like, dog, she's, you're touching her. She's right there. Yeah, he's fucking holding her hand like a weirdo. Don't fucking discuss how much she would get at market. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Oh. Uh, why didn't the binars lock the holodeck? They needed them to get out, right? They needed their help. Yeah, at a specific time, but, like, Minuet is trying to keep Picard there very much. Yeah. But, you know... It is not explained why Minuet was not programmed better to keep them there, either in terms of, yes, locking the holodeck, or maybe telling them what the fuck she needs out of them, or just something. Yeah, just telling them what's going on and how to help. Yeah, it's... I don't know. Not good. It's not a good writing. Um, Spiner must have been having a lot of trouble with his contact lenses because yeah. Data's eyes are hella bloodshot in this episode. I noticed that too. <laughs> like he he's halfway to having double pink eye. Uh, this is where this is by the way where I wrote guys that is not at all how a supernova works. Good. So I don't want you to think I forgot about it just because I said it it doesn't it doesn't actually matter. Yeah. Uh, another real leisurely end to the episode where he returns to the Starbase at Warp 2. Meanwhile, it's only him and Riker and the four Binars on board. Yeah. And they just don't seem upset at all. We, we kind of danced around this earlier. The people who should be most upset are Riker and Picard. Yeah. They have the most at stake. And they're just kind of like, eh, it's cool. I get it, guys. In 140 episodes or whatever... Hmm. Uh, Picard's gonna p- be playing Die Hard on this ship. Yes, he is. But, Fucking shooting people with arrows and shit. But for now... Yeah, he's cool with it. Uh, and I already said Jordy and Worf and Data don't wise off when Riker's declaring his unceasing heartbreak at the end. Yeah. I mean, there's more to say about it, and I'm sure you had some more things. I got a ton. So Commander Quintero, so that's another Latin guy, right? There's, that's another one. Yep, some, yep. Some kind of fuck up, though. Um, Riker does give the look uh, that he gives when he smells bullshit. Then there was yeah. the part about the dialogue monster. <clears throat> Picard excited and not at all embarrassed about his personal relaxation light. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's see, the Riker's dumb joke that no one thought was funny. <clears throat> Riker's comment about Beverly packing like she's leaving forever would have been funnier if this was the season one finale. It would have been a lot funnier. Uh... Let's see, uh, Riker's extremely opaque instructions about Minuet. Um, and then, <laughs> the fact that it didn't just, like, hand him a femur when he asked for oh, his bone. Oh, when he bone. asked for a bone. Give me a bone. Yeah, why is this, why is the holiday computer so much smarter than Data? <laughs> I don't know, it knows everything. <laughs> it can do a thesaurus lookup without someone having to say, you know, a bone. It, it like, went, to, it sat there and it did the math and it went, should we give him a bone? Or a trombone. Mm, the context is jazz. Yeah, exactly. Data, incapable of that. Uh, let's see. Riker, not embarrassed at all to go to Pound Town on this lady right in front of those little mutants. Just, oh, yeah, like, sure. walks up to her and starts fucking getting his game on while they're watching. Well, they're over there in the corner going... <laughs> uh, 
By the way, Picard should know better than to just drop in on one of Riker's weird holodeck fantasies. In the holodeck? It's so dangerous! Dude, he might get a harp in the eye if he's not careful. Oh, for sure. It could happen. Uh, Riker does the whole Jean-Luc, Jean-Luc Picard pronunciation. Yeah. <laughs> that is so bad. It's it hard. Uh, Picard, so polite to say that there's a place he might have chosen himself. Um, Starfleet evacuation's very orderly. The Binar's weird liaison... It was just real handsy with Yar. We went over that. Um, you don't have to go back to the Enterprise to get Riker and Picard. You can just beam them. It's very true. They're like, we gotta go back. And it's like, what? Well, you know, you can just beam them off if you're worried about it. Also, Worf asks Kinteros, where is your transporter room? Like, dog, didn't you beam in? <laughs> yeah, you were just there. Or maybe he walked in with the Parisi Squares team. Maybe they came in through the south entrance like everybody else. Maybe. Uh, I'd love that it's labeled south. All right. So they burn the first 30 seconds of their five-minute countdown chilling in engineering. Yeah. Okay. Ta- talking about the countdown, etc. Now we got a real problem. Because then when they're at the door to the bridge, they say they only have four minutes left. After a lengthy conversation. Is the bridge... Right down the hall from engine. Of course it's not! Dog, the turbo lifts must be insanely fast, except when they're needed to be slow for plot reasons. Because, uh, Jordy and Data leave the bridge with 41 seconds left. Yeah. And not in a hurry. Right! And it's like, are they taking that shit all the way down to the neck of the ship to leave by the docking port? Or are they going to the nearest transporter room? It's just... Where they're then going to have to beam off, which takes about 20 seconds anyway. These fucking idiot writers wanted there to be tension by having the clock wind down and all this shit, but they didn't give any thought to where anything is on the ship. They walked down the hall from engineering to the bridge. That's not how it works. Did I not write this down? Because I thought to ask it, why is the countdown clock LEDs? I know, right? <laughs> That's the special purpose countdown clock. Um, the Binars got mad sleepy and took a good old group nap. That is true. There's so many cuddles in there. Uh, and by the way, very confusing because Riker says they appear to be dead. Right. But like, did he not check their pulse or if they were breathing? Like, I don't even think he really looked at them. They turn out not to be dead. No, they're just sleeping, dude. They just wake up. They're like, oh, hey. Uh, can't they just call Minuet from the bridge? Do they have to walk back down? Or is that also just down the hall? Yeah. Because they go back to the holodeck while all this is going on. I mean, at least that's somewhere in the saucer section. I can't make a sense of what the layout of this ship it's on, is. It's on deck 12 or something like sick bay, right? But, like, the engineering is all the way down in the... Right. Star Drive. Based on this episode, the layout of this ship is a mystery to me. Uh, Riker keeps calling the Binars gentlemen, despite being specifically told that they have no gender. Well, uh, to me, though, you'll always be Jean-Luc. <laughs> He's such a fucking asshole. That's He's why I think, That's why I think the Binars took Minuet away. I think they're just sick of My him. name is Barash. To me, you'll always be Jean-Luc. But I just, but I just okay, told but, you. But, like it's, but my name is Barash. Jean-Luc it is. You'll always live in my heart, Jean-Luc. Uh, let's see. Uh, Minuet gives the entire game away when Picard tries to walk out of the room. Yeah, she does. She She's has, not cool about she it. has a fucking flip out. Uh, we already talked about Picard and Autodestruct being plan A. Uh, good thing there were two officers trapped on board, because otherwise mm-hmm. he would just be touching that pad and quietly saying swears in French. 
<laughs> as he tries to blow up the ship. I mean, maybe the computer recognized that he was the only one on board, but like, let's not. By the way, also the computer's mail in this one, it doesn't... Why is that? Oh yeah, no, that didn't make any sense. This is like the, the computer doesn't have locks on. It's like Major was. Busy. Oh, did the, did the, are the binars also do that? It's, I guess so. Is that Queeg, the Red Dwarf backup computer? I think I said this to you earlier in the week, but Riker looks so satisfied with himself when he explains to Picard that for them there are only two options: one <laughs> or zero, yes or no. I yep. just want Picard to look at him, w- take a beat, and then go, "You're getting fatter." I thought that would have been a good response to that. That was a very self-satisfied line. He's just, he's uh, figured it all out. Riker, you're probably such a genius. Was, he probably was still thinking about that and having a good old time in his mind when he got down to the holodeck <laughs> and discovered that it was a slightly different redhead. He was going to tell her about it. I, I had told this Picard great for, thing to say. For the Binars, there are only two <laughs> options. Um... Uh, Dude, the stupid explanation that their only choices were to steal it or not to steal it because they are binary does not explain the careful and intuitive programming of Minuet. Yeah, dog, they fucking, those two dudes looked at, those four dudes looked at each other and they're like, well, hang on, he's, he's kind of giving us an out. Don't say anything. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, what, was that bit outsourced to somebody more creative than yes or no? It doesn't make a lot of uh, sense, yeah. All right. Well, all... look, the idea, Riker's an idiot and he doesn't, he doesn't really understand computers. No, he does not. And, he gets frustrated when people try to explain engineering things to him, like when Kaczynski goes on his run. Yeah. And he's like, no, you're going to explain it to me till I understand it. And then Kaczynski talks for 30 seconds. And he's he goes, like, fine. Fuck it. That's good. Whatever you said. Uh, that's all I had. That's plenty, really. That's, that's quite, a, quite, a, quite a bit. Yeah. Um, I gave the best actor in this one to, um, uh, to Data. Hmm. If you forget that his character is supposed to be emotionless. I think that's usually the case, right? <laughs> And uh, worst actor to Data, if you remember that his character is supposed to be emotionless. Mm. And it's all for the, it's for the same thing. It's for his his real bad guilt trip about losing the Enterprise. He's very sad about it. He's having a fucking crisis for sure. Yeah, fuck Data. Fuck Brent Spiner, the most talented person anyone on the show has ever worked with, according to everybody. Idiots. I done did the math, son. All right, how'd it do? I gave it seventeen points. Which is higher than I thought I would give it, frankly. It's not amazing, but it was not a good episode. But like I said, I would watch it over and over again. Yeah. Uh, just to hear Riker say that thing about <laughs> not, never having had contact with the Binars before. Right. Uh, or Picard's personal relaxation light. <laughs> uh, you gave it 15 points. That adds to 32. That's actually a drop from their average. So I believe it. It seemed like a below average episode. Uh, Balance of Terror for TOS was 20 points higher than the average score for, for TOS. But... Uh, this was almost four points lawyer. Uh, TNG averages around a 36. This was only a 32. So well. not certainly not the worst TNG episode. Uh, currently, that's the big goodbye sitting at 21 points. I believe it. That was garbage. Uh, it's the garbage episode also about the holodeck. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, yeah, I think maybe we're catching on to something. The holodeck episodes are fucking garbage. Yeah, in that episode, it's entirely the holodeck. Yep. So... That, that hurts it. Whereas in this episode, the holodeck is a weird diversion that gives you an insight into Riker's crippling loneliness. <laughs> so, um, it's not going to win the week. But, uh, there are three more episodes. Uh, this week we watched Progress.
Bajor is planning to tap the geothermal energy of its fifth moon, and Rom bought too much yamak sauce. Uh, yeah. Can Kira convince Kirk Douglas to leave the moon before they turn it into a noxious furnace? Well, in a way. I mean, sort of. Yeah. Um, Alright, let me just jump in. Uh, I gave it a 7 on the take. Which is... And what, what was the take? Let's hear that take. How does one handle becoming the very enemy they despise? It's a clear take, except I couldn't find a declarative way of saying it. Aside from, oh. aside from, it's bad to become the enemy you've despised for so long. Um, so I couldn't score it higher than a seven, since I could, I could only phrase it as a question. Well, we had the same take. Well, sort of. Mine was more specific, which is governing is a lot harder than being a revolutionary. Yes. So part uh, of it is that she's adjusting to her new role. Yes. For me, I think the part I was, I was Keyed focusing on. more on was the fact that what that role entails is sometimes um, smashing people, smashing people's dreams. Yeah. Instead of fighting for them. Yeah. I mean, so... I guess her hatred of governments that make decisions like this comes out in the fact that she's willing to give up her career, essentially. Yeah. To stay and help this man. Until she gets a good talking to from Cisco or whatever. Until <laughs> Cisco shows up and says, don't don't do this thing. Yeah. Um, I thought it was about a five take. Okay. Only because, of course it is. <laughs> yes, that seems like kind of a truism. I mean, like, I feel like it is something that's worth saying because there is a lot of revolutionary sentiment that is not realistic. Yeah, we or... fought out in the trenches. We had, we, we had the hard job. But it's like, well, yeah. governing is its own challenge. Yeah, exactly. Like, well, what, what, what was your plan once you had power? Right. I mean, was it a? I mean, was it eugenics? Are you Kodos? Oh, maybe. Um. So, uh, it's about yes. Yeah, so like I said, I gave it a five. Um, I think she doesn't. She never explicitly tries to like get on his side no. and say, "Hey, I'm just like you." She's just sort of like... Well, he's too antagonistic, no, there's, there's, I think. There's fucking, there's fucking three of you. Like, it's just not going to happen. Right. Part of the problem for me, and this is... I, I mean, I guess it's not really take, but what the government wants to do is fucking nuts. I know. It's nuts and it's bad. Yeah. Yeah, they want to um, kick everyone off this moon. I don't know how many people are on there. Do they say how many? I don't remember. How many there were How on many there, there were 50. on the moon? 50, okay. Well, that's not too bad, at least. But they want to kick everyone off this moon so they can mine it for energy to heat what they claim is, what, a few hundred thousand homes? Yeah, a few hundred thousand. So That's not many. That's kind of poor. That's, like, not a decent power plant. It's not many. And then, what, the moon's unusable forever? And then it formerly inhabitable moon. Yep. Why not just move everyone to the moon if everything's so hard on Bajor? Yeah. Or, like, go blow up a different moon. You got at least five of them. This is Bajor's fifth moon. And guess what? You're working with the Federation, and they can find you in uh, inexhaustible amount of moons. Yeah, to or mine. they could just put a fucking particle fountain up there if they can get a couple of exocomps. Oh yeah, and that's just right. Beam energy straight down. Hell yes. Wait, has that already happened in this point? This point? No, of course not. That's way late. That's season seven, right? Yeah, it's hella late. Yeah, okay. So it hasn't happened yet. Quality of life. What is that one? Yes, but I, I think yeah, that might be season seven. Anyway. 
Uh, it's a nutso plant. That really hurt the world building score for me. Yes, world building was um, the worst score for me as well for DS9. Yeah. Um, well, and as we talked about, that's its low average score. Yeah. Is world building. Okay. Um, for execution. Uh, yeah, I gave it a five again. Uh, obviously, Kira sees a lot of herself in this old man, but I feel like her half of the plot was done better in Ensigns of Command. Ah, uh, I see. This is where we specifically disagree. Okay, you think this is better than Ensigns of Command? Yes. But uh, that but there's no lady who hella wants to bone a robot. I know. I know that is a very special sci-fi and especially Star Trek uh, piece of plot that has to be involved a lot. And Data blows up a whole aqueduct. Not just a kiln. <laughs> That's true. Um, also hurting the execution score for this episode is uh, that the B-plot could have been in literally any episode. It does not have any significance. For anything? Like, even when they end up buying some land on Bajor, I was like, oh, okay, yeah, this is probably going to come into play. Like, they're going to relocate to that land that <laughs> yeah. they can own This is going like to tie that. together in some meaningful it's gonna, way. That's how it's going to come together. They now own some... Nope. It is dumb to think that they were thinking. Nope. They just make they just make some latinum. <laughs> yep. They just make a little bit of latinum. But they're friends, you know? They're good friends. They get to be friends forever or whatever. <sighs> Fucking cares. Yeah. What did... You gave this a seven for the take. Ha- I will... And... And... Yeah. Damn. And you thought this was better done than the similar episode, Ensigns of Command, so you must have given it a good execution score. Let me start by saying I had this at a 9 on execution. Jesus. Until I thought about it today and said, that B-plot is so bad, it takes up a third of the episode at least, and it's garbage, and they need to be penalized in some way for that, so I took points off of execution. Um, So I gave it a 6. Okay. This Kira plot, I found strangely effective. I thought more so, I specifically say, than Data and Instance of Command, because Kira has this really personal connection with this old man's struggle. She sees so much of herself in what this man's doing, and it hasn't been that long since she was... I mean, you think about it, the Cardassians have just left when the series starts. Yeah. Like, they just walked out of town. If we are, like roughly as far along in Deep Space Nine as Enterprise is far along in their season. Yeah. We're talking, like, the Cardassians have been out of there seven or eight months tops. Right. So she has not been in her new role long, and it probably is very easy for her to see this struggle that this guy has against the the big boys, which in this case is the Bajoran government, and see herself in that. So she connects really easily with him. Eventually realizes her new responsibilities don't allow her to side with the underdog anymore and all that. Uh, And she has to be as brutal as her old enemies to get the job done. She has to destroy the shit that this guy loves and forcibly remove him from his home. She does burn his house down. Yeah, she straight up, she torches the shit. And it kind of has the double effect of making her realize not just the weight and importance of her new role, but also the fanaticism of her old existence. And how maybe it's time to put things like that behind her. Yeah. Now, it is kind of a stretch for her to put her whole life in jeopardy for this old turd. Or her whole career, not, at least. He's not nice to her, even though he says she's got a good butt. That's right. Which, by the way, how can you tell in those terrible outfits they make her wear? This is it's this is the worst. When she, when she goes with the no-jacket version of her outfit in this, it makes her look... <laughs> it's not flattering. Like, not pregnant exactly... <laughs> But, like, she's carrying a lot of weight. 
in her mom's pubis. Right. It's a very, it's a very unflattering cut. She's got gigantism of the of the pelvis or something. Something like that. Like there's, and she's like a slim lady. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's probably not her body that's weird. That's it's right. Got to be this unflattering cut that someone did in one day. Yeah, the costume department kind of fucked up. Um. But you know, so again, I found it unrealistic. But it's the drama, and they got to have stakes or whatever. Um, I think they accidentally made something decent. Like, well, it would be an accident for sure. It also was by far the most effective bajorization that we've seen, just because this is something. Even though they're never on Bajor, this is something that had to do with the Bajoran government and Bajor, and something they're doing that they actually, again, accidentally made that was decent. Instead of that hmm. episode last week or the week before, which was a double Bajor plot, which yes. both times it was just what the fuck? Like, why is this even happening? This could have been on what any planet. What's going on? Neither of those could have like needed to be on Bajor. Like, Starfleet couldn't build one power plant? What, it, I don't, what is Bajor, man? What is what Bajor? Is it? is, it's the DS9 version of what is the Federation. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, I gave it a six. <clears throat> uh, yeah, alright. It's like, you okay, you penalized it for trading Yamak sauce for stem bolts and stem bolts for land. Was there another intermediary? No, I don't know. I think that was it. Okay. Yeah. It's not good. The B-plot is so stupid, and I don't know if there's a point to talk about it, but... Again, I literally... The first version of my notes, all I had written was the Jake and Nog plot is a distraction. That was it. So. It's awful, because it's like... Nog gets the ball rolling... Right. ...with this shit, and then immediately wants to give up. And then Jake carries the rest of this plot. Yeah, Nog has got the lobes but jake has got the grit i guess who fucking cares it's very bad and i hate that somebody like jumped on the idea of self-sealing stem bolts yeah i know right that is not a thing that needs to be carried on yeah that's good we heard about it once we never have to hear about it again uh what i don't understand is why they're really forcing this jake and nog shit down our throat it is like a few episodes in a row now and who thinks this is what the show is missing? Is this show for kids? Uh, we got the early ratings back. Uh, kids don't like this show. <laughs> more Jake and Nog, then. That's, That's going to solve More Jake it. and Nog. Because when little kids play Star Trek, they pretend they're Jake and Nog. Yep. Not like cool Starfleet officers. Yep. They don't want to be Captain Picard and Commander Riker and Worf and Data. Always my... They, they want to be two kids. There's always my problem when someone's like, well, we have to make Go- it friendly to kids, too. It's like, kids don't pretend to be kids. Going, we're going. We're going to go watch the the Bajoran freighters dock. We're going to watch the families come in. There are girls there. Great, that's Fuck. fun for make believe. Data fucked Tasha Yar. Yeah, boom. That she it. wanted it. She came to him. That's right. That's, what that's kids, cooler. That's what kids like. <laughs> All right. What do you have for world building? We already both said we didn't give him much. So what do you? Oh, got? We've literally talked about everything that I put in world building. Okay. So let me just say that it all added up to a two. Because there's nothing. There's just nothing in this episode. I gave it a four. Let me see Let me see if any of this stuff you had or, or didn't have. Uh, this is what a Lesepian looks like. That guy's mom. Who's a Lesepian? The guy in the beginning with the yamak sauce. Oh, that freighter captain? Yeah, he's a Lesepian dog. That's what he looks are we, like. Are we going to see that guy like five, six more times? He looked familiar. I don't know. Um, Cardassian stuff still being imported onto the station, which always makes me question the purpose of replicators. How does trade work? How does the replicator work? How does the Federation work? How does Bajor work? None of it makes any sense, and they <laughs> ruined it. 
In Deep Space Nine, particularly by introducing gold pressed lasers. Yes. And then it's like when this guy. I mean, do the Federation officers get paid? Like, do they convert credits? And it's hard to replicate. When this so guy like, talks about how he's got all this yamic sauce, it put me in a tailspin, and I literally just had to go from piece to piece of that. Going, wait, how does this work? Wait, why is this happening? How does this work? Because this guy's carrying five thousand packages of yamic sauce. sauce. Yeah. Or Seems rapages, like, I believe, is what they call them. Well, 5,000 rapages of yeah. yamic sauce. Uh, th- Jesus. This moon, this guy's been on it for 40 years? Seems like. That was long before the end of the occupation. How did he get there, and why did the Cardis let him go there? Dog, it's Bajor's fifth moon. It probably takes five hours to get there by runabout. But, like... The Cardassians just obviously didn't care. I don't know. What if, like... What if fucking revolutionaries went there or something? I'm just... No, can you I'm... imagine? It'd be like, ah, fuck it, they're on the moon. <laughs> it's fine. What? Yeah, we have interstellar spaceships. Fuck you. <laughs> uh, what? Yeah, we could just blow up the moon. Uh, I can't remember if this is the first time we heard Kira's given name. It can't be possible, right? I don't. It may have come up in the uh, in emissary, but like, did she have to correct him? Oh uh, yeah, she does about that. calling her Kira instead of. Major Kira instead of I think Major Nerese. I think she has done something like that. Unless I was but watching an episode co- of TNG and Rolaire and did it. I can't remember. I don't think it's come up since, because although she's talked to some former members of the Resistance, I don't think she's talked to any that knew her personally. Right. Uh, dude, there's like uh, Tessipitz. Oh, wait. What about... There was that one guy that she vouched for. That uh, was like murder or just clone. Clone murder? He might have called her Norris. I don't we've know. We've been doing this project for so long, that seems like years ago. It was. When this, we did look, that. <laughs> we're in week 14. <laughs> uh, dude, there are Tessipits and Celipits? Was that the other one? Kelipits? I don't remember. Words Bajorans used to measure land or distance? Um, yeah, it felt like acres or something. Yeah. Uh, another moon with a temperate climate and approximate Earth gravity. And yep. that was what I had for that gave it a four. All that. Yeah, none of that changes my assessment. That seems fair. Characterization. Let me jump in here because I gave it, I gave it as much as an eight. Oh, okay. Okay, so so it has to mostly be based on Kira, right? Yeah, because again, I didn't even initially say anything at all about the uh, B plot. Uh, yeah, Nog don't have that fancy book learning, but he's got the lobes. I got that out of the way. Why are you bearing the lead? He's illiterate. Is is Kira already stuck between her Federation existence and Bajoran existence? Or does she just hate bureaucrats? Because in the beginning, she's like, stop nagging these people. They know what they're doing. On the bridge? Or command and control? What do they call it on? Yeah. Ops. There we go. Ops. When that, that guy's there and he's like, I hope you know what you're doing. And she's like, hey, shut up. They know what they're doing. Um, she already She shows a lot of patience with this old gnarly dude before, you know, she runs out of patience. Actually, this is by far the most effective character work of the series to date. This whole plot with Kira and this dude. Because they actually found an issue and they like dug into it and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I think actually all of the interesting character plots have been about Kira so far. And strangely, she is absent in times where you would think that she was probably necessary. Yeah, yeah like, uh, like when she just uh, helps escort the girl leader of the Tetrarch to the conference room, and then we see her again exactly once where she tells Quark to make it a double. Heck yeah, I don't even... <laughs> the, the, show, she might... the show is about a single dad who goes to an uh, an unsavory station 
at a new planet called Bajor. So what you think the show might be about is this is this guy and maybe a Bajoran. Yeah. But it's not. No. It's not about not that. that. Um until this episode. No, it's about the fun Ferengis. Yeah. Um Dex just said a thing. She thinks Morn right. is cute. Is that the the beginning of a personality? No. Are they like trying to give her she like smiled and said a thing? Yeah. But uh, but also not clear if she's saying that to wine Kira up or not. But even if she was. That's still something. They like gave her something to say that wasn't She didn't say a science thing. A science she didn't say thing. a dumb science thing. In complete monotone. Yeah. Uh and Cisco was okay in this too. He was very soft, but still he was he actually came off as likable for like the first time in this series. Yeah, Most he of did the time the he's only an good work here, for sure. So I just, you know, I just I thought they tried to do something with Dax for once, even though she was only barely in it. Cisco was likable. Kira had a whole episode to herself to dig in and do her thing. I gave it an eight. I, okay. I'm only a little bit apologetic. I mean, okay. That's it's fine that you gave it an eight. It's wrong, but it's fine. <laughs> um, I gave it a three. Boom. And here's here's what I have to say about this. Right. Uh, so here's what I wrote, of yeah. course. Uh, the only thing Cisco loves is bending rules. Sure. Uh, Nog is illiterate but has Ferengi business smarts, except that Jake yeah. drives the episode. That is true. So that undercuts that. And there's nothing about Jake's motivation here. It's not like he wants to do this to understand Nog or to be friends with Nog or to show Nog that his ideas have value. No, because nothing about this plot is thought out. No, I think he just thinks it's cool. Yeah, he's just going to do it. I want to be an adult, um, I think is what it is. Cisco has some affection for Kira now. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, Kira's having a lot of trouble coming to terms with her government role. But you either didn't like the way that was handled or didn't like her... I, I thought it was fine, but too much of it was about this frustrating guy. Oh, yeah. And not enough of it was about... Like, there's nothing in, in here where she's challenging that senator or whatever. Right. Like, even... Well, she does go back and tell him this guy's not going anywhere, but that's really just reporting it. Yeah, he's just like, look, it's inconvenient to have to wait a season if we do it the slow way. Right. But that's it. Um, Ben also gave it it a three, by the way. Ben gave it a three in characterization. Uh, Ben also thought it was a three. Well, Ben gave this... uh, Ben scored this episode lower than either of us. This was Ben's anti-pick of the week. (laughs) Yes. He gave it an 11 total, I believe. If I could play that clip backwards easily, I would, but I can't. I gave it an 8 in characterization. He gave it an 11 total. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, so... I don't know. I wasn't affected by Kira. I don't know what to say about it. I, like, I feel like with Kira, every time we see her doing something, it's just a missed opportunity to do something better. Hmm. Like, I, they don't know what to do with her yet. I have mentioned before that I think the mood you're in has a lot to do with how you score these. Because sometimes I'm in the mood where I'm watching a Voyager or something and I'm like, God, this is just the worst, fucking most despicable garbage. And I can't even bear to look at the screen. But I didn't, I just, I felt good about this week's episodes for some reason. And I was just sitting there and I was watching it and I was like, they're doing character work. Like they've decided that this plot is about this one person. They put her in a position that's understandable, and then they let her dig in, and she had to make a tough decision in the end or whatever. 
And maybe I was just too charitable because the expectations have been set so low by this show. Well, they haven't. I mean, so here is the thing. Uh, the last time I scored a deep space. So I gave this episode 15 points. Yeah. The last episode I scored this high was Dax. Oh my god, that episode sucked. Yeah, I scored that 16. And there are only... This is the sixth best Deep Space Nine episode in my scores. Mm. I think it was pretty obviously the best Out of 14. Right? Yeah, yeah, I don't think you've ever scored. So you gave this episode 25 points, and you deducted three points today thinking about it. That is a fact. So it was going to be a 28. I thought for sure it was going to lead the week because TOS was the last one I watched this week. Right. I thought there's no way anything can score higher than a 28. Like, that's not even possible. Yeah, until you fucking, until Mark Leonard showed <laughs> up Mark, and they did stole it. your heart. They all did a thing in that one. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so, uh, but I mean, look, that's a 40-point episode. Yes. That's so really that's, good for DS9. That's 12 points higher than Deep Space Nine's average. That's higher than any series' average. So. I only had a few quick hitters. Okay. Let's uh, hear. The cycle of abuse continues. The episode opens with Quark screaming at Rom. Guess who Rom's gonna pass that on to later? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, so does this Lesapian not know what Ferengi and human kids look like? Because it seems obvious he's dealing with kids. That's a very good question. So, he, it never occurs to him to ask. Uh, are you, why? Why do you kids have yamak sauce? Where are your parents? Like, what is the deal here? Does he think it's just totally okay to? Make are business are you guys not in school because because Mrs. O'Brien is still on Earth? <laughs> I'm glad they stopped giving us updates, by the Cel- way. Celebrating her mother's 100th birthday for eight weeks? <laughs> uh, and then I stopped doing quick hitters because I had so much to write about the rest of the episode. So that was all I had. Uh, yeah. Um, Dax and Kira blatantly failing the Bechdel test by invoking Morn. Uh-huh. They had a chance Those there. two don't have anything else to talk about. The last time we saw them talk to each other at all, it was uh, about how Dax likes the attention she gets from men. There you go. There so, you go. Good work, Brandon Braga or whoever wrote Deep Space Nine. Yeah. Still Ron Moore. Probably Ron Moore was definitely showrunner, so. Um, Cisco seems to keep a model of an old Daedalus class ship in his office. That's neat. I wonder why. Yeah, this is not explained. Yeah. Like, is it the first Saratoga? It's not clear. Saratoga seems like a ship that would have gotten a name pretty early. Yes, I think that's true. Like, I think because a lot of them are named after like aircraft carriers, which were named after important things in American history. So yes, right. Uh, who flew Cisco out there to visit Kira? Not clear. Because was it O'Brien? Because he just calls up to the ship to beam out again. Not clear. I asked, I asked also if it was O'Brien because that's who people usually ask to do shady things. Because <laughs> he's down. Yeah. Uh, this kiln. Yeah. Uh, looks like it would take roughly one hour to finish. Well, you know, he... This guy's been dragging his feet for sure. He's been really busy. What with the farming and everything. He's like when Picard didn't want to build that nursery. Yeah. For his wife, in, but then he decided to... In the inner light or whatever? In inner light, yeah. 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 Uh, also, how did that old man make those bricks without a kiln? That's a very good. That's like a Did he out. have a smaller, worse kiln he used to make those bricks? He had a kiln junior, and he had to make kiln senior. I mean, his place looked pretty like set up for not having a kiln. Yeah, maybe he just baked them in the oven. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Not clear that he had an oven. I don't know. 
Uh, I gave uh, best actor in this episode to uh, Kirk Douglas, but in the movie The Vikings. Of course. <laughs> and uh, I gave worst actor here to Dax. She was only barely in the episode. In she oh, was in it and had right. a line. That's fair, I guess. Wasn't good. Yeah. I mean, you could give it to Jake, but like, he's what was he supposed to do? He's a little boy. You're not mad at him? <laughs> yeah, it's like... It's not his fault. It's like being mad at the um, young Anakin... Exactly right. Not his after fault. you've after you've seen him not be able to say Coruscant fifteen times in the deleted <laughs> scenes, and it's like oh, he sucks. This kid sucks. He really does suck, but it's not his fault. And he 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 can't he can't speak Huddies correctly to Sebulba, and it's like fuck, but fuck yeah. that kid's six, and someone wrote very bad dialogue for him to say. Yep. So it's like I can't be that mad at Jake. Um, so this thing got a forty. It got a forty, which is crazy. It, I mean, it got 15 from me, right. which is, again, it's, Fine. if you halved its average score, that would be four, would have been 14. So even I thought it was better than many Deep Space Nine episodes. Well, just because it, at least it, it said, here's what we're doing. Now yeah. we're going to do it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, just and for it's that. like, there wasn't a Dalrock. Uh, well, there was once. Or... Or you know Rumpelstiltskin. That not that that would ever happen next week. <laughs> oh, that's not good. That's not a good episode. Uh, <laughs> oh fuck! All right, damn it. But um, but we watched two more episodes, so there's still two more chances for someone to beat that 54 point score yeah, that Balance of Terror put up. Uh, this week we watched Jatrell. Alright, so I guess in the past Talaxia had a giant space war. Neelix is Talaxian. Uh, the guy who made the super weapon that ended the war and killed a bunch of Talaxians shows up out of nowhere because Neelix might have some kind of disease from the super weapon. So the guy's coming to save Neelix, but Neelix don't trust him. And then, you know, they get into some shit. Yeah. That's really what it, I guess that's what it was about. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, what'd you have for a take on this bad boy? I'm not. This was the first one I watched this week. Mm -hmm. So I apologize if this sounds, um, puffed up. Mm -hmm. When we hate ourselves, we turn that hate outward onto others. I'm with you. I had it just restated a different way. I had, we build up villains in our lives to avoid facing the villains within. Yeah, it's something like that. Anyway, that's about a six for me. I gave it an eight. Because it's specific enough, and it's like it's like a take, and it's good sci-fi TV. It is, and I think, I think I was mad because once again, this is a Voyager episode where about ten minutes in, you're like, "Oh, we're gonna do a thing." I think we're doing something. Here it comes, dog. <laughs> we're about to relitigate the Manhattan Project. That's right, Hiroshima. I've heard of that. Yep, but oh, Neelix got Hiroshima big time. <laughs> That's right. Mm, but now it's... what do we do with this scientist oh yes um yeah oh oh what oh he's he's also admiral jerrock oh thank god <laughs> that's right oh yeah. yeah this is gonna be good oh I'm, okay I'm so oh it's not it's sort of not oh it's not about this so it's not about the that. name of the episode is jatrell once it's, again we... voyager is doing a shit job because that is yep. the name of the scientist yeah we see jatrell about a minute and a half in that's how they name their shows 
That's so stupid. Here's the name it, of an alien. That's now the name of our episode. It is as if you're going to be like, oh man, what was that episode that was sort of about the atomic bomb, but it wasn't? I'll never oh, remember. That's that. right. It was named after that super great and memorable character, Jetrell. <laughs> I will never, ever remember the name of that episode. Is there a single... Yes, there is one and only one TNG episode that has named that way, and it is called Sarek. And that is because you're supposed to already know who that is. Yes, exactly. That's correct. They didn't make him up in that episode. There's not an episode called Reva. No, thank God. There's not an episode Loud called Devanani Rawl. That is um, the fucking ne- negotiate. I don't remember what that one's called. It's called The Price. The Price. There you go. Yeah. There's not an episode called Dr. Rega. No, that one is um, Suspicions. Yeah, something like that. I think I got that right. Yeah. I used to be better. There's not an episode called Lilith Wants to Fuck Riker. Yep, I'm with you. So, yes, it is a dumb way to name an episode, but at least that alien was played by the guy who played Admiral Jarok in The Defector, the seminal TNG episode. Which I contend, but which still remains to be proven, is the best TNG episode. We will see if, (coughs) under our criteria, it scores the best, but I remember it as being the best. Yeah, because what's the take in Best of Both Worlds? Hey, hey, one? let's not anyway, get distracted. We'll get We're so deep into let's... this episode. Yes. Uh... Oh, fuck. Oh, fuck. Darmok is kind of that. Oh. It's not the name of a character. Yeah, but it is very specific to that alien race. Okay. Yes. Um, I gave it a three on execution. Uh, I put negative points for Kess explaining to him and the audience that he can only stop hating Jatrell when he stops hating himself. Yeah, that sucked a big dick. Uh, negative points for undermining the take by actually making him um, even more villainous than we originally thought. Oh, yeah. Yes, he was not thought. actually... He was trying to redeem his reputation, but that's it. Yeah. Uh, negative points for creepy dream sequences. Yeah, I did not need that. I got so... Oh, I was so mad. I was so mad when we had to see a dream. I mean, heavy quotes on creepy in creepy dream sequence. It was silly, really. Oh, it was someone's it was someone's film school project version of creepy. Yeah. I wanted to like the episode. Because yeah. if like you said, not only did I feel like we were gonna go somewhere, but I liked that they at least tried to explore some new shit with Neelix, and I liked the take and everything. And his performance was It was actually fine, right? Fine. Like, it wasn't good, but it was fine. Like when you consider well, like, it's the last It's the last thing I wrote in my quick hitters. Is they dumped a lot on Neelix in this episode, and at the end of the day, it's not even his fault. It's mediocre. Yeah. And I'm trying not to be biased, but J-Rock, I mean Jatrell, was a positive aspect of this episode, because I like what that guy does. He's, I like what that actor does. He is probably the best living human actor at portraying the emotion of bitterness. <laughs> everything he says, his face, everything. He squints down and spits his words so well. The sting that he... That he is hurting. Whenever he says anything, you can tell he is in pain. Yes. And he's like this in The Defector, too. The Defector is his best When he's like, what a fool I've been! But in... He does some good work in Rightful Air also. Yes. Which which we will talk about in, uh, like, approximately seven to eight years. I, um... He was, Probably be his last appearance chronologically. He he was the only reason this got as high as a three. Yeah, execution. I um, 
Uh, he's my favorite Star Trek guest star. I know Katsulis is amazing. Oh, yeah, he is. Uh, and then it's... So it's like... It's this guy. And then it's Katsulis. Yeah. Then maybe the... David the Warner? The commander in face of the enemy? David Warner, maybe? Uh, David Warner's pretty good. He's so Shakespearean. He's pretty good in Chains of Command. And then if those movies count at all. And and his two his two movie appearances. I mean, he's great as Gorkon. Not so great as Scientist. Uh, a scientist who falls for Cybox nonsense in Star Trek V. Yeah. That movie should not exist. Really I would decanonize it if I could. If I could, I would definitely do that, yes. <laughs> uh... But yeah, this guy's my number one, so I should learn his name. Yeah. Let's learn it. Let's make that homework assignment. Let's learn his name before next week. Remember his name. I don't know it yet, so I'll learn it. Uh, I give it a four for execution. Okay. Um, here's what I said. Uh, TNG did it better in The Wounded. Oh, God, yes. Right? Yeah, for Where sure. At least, at least O'Brien knew from the start it wasn't really this Cardassian he hated. Yeah, like he recognized... The possibility of bigotry in himself and didn't really know what to do about it. Yes. That, that is much more nuanced, for sure. Yeah. Uh, um, that's literally all I wrote for execution. Right, that's fine. That's fine, because uh, it's true. Uh, it, uh, again, as we got closer and closer to the end, and I realized, and I became you know more and more convinced that this was not the episode I thought it was going to be, hmm. I was disappointed. Yeah, that's... as in as in emanations when it was not about we were, it was we were not going to have religion in the afterlife after death. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, yeah, in that one, you really like... in the last scene is when you get absolutely smoked by the shittiness of the writing. Oh, it's so bad when she just is straight up like, but you know, some people say it's like this, and you go, wait, but is it? I don't know. Then you go, all so, right, thank you for that. It's unknowable. And you fuck you. <laughs> Thanks for that. I learned a lot this week. Uh, world building. Uh, I didn't think they did much. Yeah, I don't have a high score on this. So it's like... Neelix's Talaxian background is more characterization. Unless you feel like the Talaxian War is going to come up again, but... I don't know they that did it not, will. They sort of treated it like it's settled. I don't know that it this. will. Well, for one thing, they hella lost, so I don't know and what first there is of all, to revisit. Like I said, I haven't seen it, and I don't know. But I didn't feel like it was gonna, so I didn't feel like giving them points for much for that, so... Here's what I got. Metreon Cascades? Yes. We'll probably never see that again. Right. Uh, Voyager must be pretty near Neelix's homeworld. Yep, I had that To get there. Too. I said, yeah. how far away is Talix, and in what direction? Chakotay mentions yeah. it's a detour, but they get there pretty quick. They're like, but they're like there right away. Yeah. And um, yet more people living as disembodied energy. So that's come up uh, like a few times. Yeah, no more of that, please. He- here in the Voyager. So, uh... Uh, it's, I give it two. I can only give it two points for world building. Maybe you found something I didn't. I gave it as high as a four. Um, okay. Talaxians and Hakonians were at war. Talaxia was yep. conquered. Now, the only reason I think this is important, I don't even necessarily know that it will come up again, but because one of the main characters is Talaxian, I yes. feel like this counts as world building because it's 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 something about Talaxia. We're gonna have a Talaxian around for a long time. It might. I don't know. It might come up. Who knows? Uh, did you give world-building points last week for Vulcan being conquered? Well, I put it in there. I just didn't know what to make of it because I wasn't sure it had really <laughs> happened. I thought it was possible McCoy was just drunk. That's, that's always possible. Like, it's not clear. He cause... is the keeper of the alcohol on the ship. <laughs> yes. Uh, the Metreon Cascade. Better band, album, or song name? 
Mm, banned, I think. Okay. Uh, weird fission diseases. Oh yeah, that's again. Uh, where's the science consultant here? I don't know what to make of what happened with that. It occurred to me that Voyager is very ugly from below, but it's very nice looking at other angles. But uh, I put Voyager, that in world you have building. To... Well, you know what, though? I, I often feel this way about the Galaxy-class Enterprise, too, mm-hmm. is that it definitely has awkward angles, mm-hmm. and the sort of three-quarter profile from above shot is really nice. Yeah. But then, like, we see a lot of really uh, unusual angles in one one zero zero one zero zero one that I don't think we'll ever see again, They were the playing way. with that model, for sure. But, like, like where the docking port is, and then, like, how sloped the secondary hull is. But from some angles, it's a really awkward-looking ship. Yeah. Um, but you're right. Voyager, you have to pick your angles. Yeah. Uh, and then I had the stuff about where Talex is. Uh, you know what? I'm going to give it a three. Okay. I'm downscoring it, because after reading it, there's not <laughs> much, there's not much there. There's not so much. And um, what was there was not very positive. <laughs> maybe... Uh, maybe you you thought higher of its characterization? I gave a five. Neelix, the silly traitor, is a fucking distant memory now. This guy's got a dark-ass backstory, and he's mad all the time. Yeah. Um, comparatively, it's a decent performance out of the character and out of the actor, and it certainly qualifies as character building. I mean, spends a lot of the episode trying to make Kess feel better, maybe because it's a good distraction for him, or because he doesn't want to face the shit that's going on, and the whole Neelix story about returning to Rhinax is... Is that what it's called? Rhinax? The moon? Yeah, it's the moon of Talax. Is hurt uh, by the weird third-person structure in the long monologue he gives. Neelix's weird... Yeah, that's true. His, the actor or the character's weird voice and manner don't really fit with dark backstories and and long monologues. It's his, his teeth prosthetic that make him hiss everything. Yeah. And I did... F- is uh, is not good for monologues. I did feel like by the end, the actor was maybe straining a little... Like straining him, himself. Pushing himself a little bit further than he was actually capable of going. <laughs> well, he's he's worst in the dream sequence. Yeah. Um, but the dream sequence is so bad that I'm not sure if that's his fault. Kess borders on Dax levels of nothingness. Yeah. Like, she tells everyone how much she cares about everybody, but the actress or the writing make it sound really dead and lame. Uh, and in this episode, Science Janeway shows up, but Command Janeway's pretty limp. No shit. So, um, we'll get into this. I gave it a four. I thought that the Neelix stuff was actually not that bad. Yeah. Uh, where... This episode really lost points to me. For me, is uh, is with Janeway. She's so friendly with Jatrell. Best friends. I mean, and it makes no sense. Maybe she loves his acting as well. Yeah, sure, that's cool. <laughs> but like, literally, all she knows about him is he is the scientist who developed a weapon of mass destruction uh-huh. that wiped out all of Neelix's people. Correct. He fucking beams over, and she's like. She's gonna make him tea. I know. She is so friendly with him. It just—it's just such nonsense. Yeah, it's like, like even like, if he's charming, well, who hasn't perpetrated a genocide? Yeah, even if he's charming, she—you she, would think she would have her head on straight and be like, um, 
I have crew she's members not... who consider him to be like a Hitler. Yeah, she's not guarded with him at all. Yeah. So I agree. And that hurt because a lot of the strength of characterization in this show has been command Janeway. Yep, she was not around. And she's just, it's just not this episode. And that's why even though I actually thought Neelix did an okay job, um, I only gave it a four. But I, I, I will say this. I did give best actor to choked up Janeway in that scene on the bridge at the end. Not to Jatrell, or does he not qualify? I, I don't, I mean, listen, I will do it. I gave it to Mark Leonard. Right. I didn't give it to Jatrell wow. this week. Okay. Uh, worst actor, by the way, I gave to Kess Jeez. with the footnote, no Harry Kim in this episode. <laughs> That's right. And that, by the way, should give it points across the board. Can we give it some more points? I should, I should bump it up. <laughs> I guess I'll bump my execution to a five. No Harry Kim. Because <laughs> he is a real fucking black hole. He So glad he I'm, wasn't in that. I'm sure some part of it is the lines that are written for him. Yes. Because they use him as science loser. Yes. But he's a but, terrible uh, actor. But he can't. He can't do it. He can't handle it. Breadcrumbs. You know, it's like okay. Yeah. Well, oh god. This is the worst. Stop doing this. Oh boy. Yeah, oh yeah, boy. Yeah. Oh boy. It's like when he's not in it. That's how I feel. If there's no Beverly Crusher or Data in a TNG, or uh, if DS9 was like an entirely different cast. Oh, by the way, we didn't mention this at all. Troy's not in one one zero zero one zero zero one. I wonder if she was on Earth visiting her mom or something. So they, they didn't even. They didn't say. Yeah. They didn't do a Keiko O'Brien situation here. <laughs> she was already on the starbase when the episode begins. Maybe <laughs> they did that a couple of weeks ago, where they're like, "Oh, and Troy wasn't there." Yes. Right in the beginning. But this time they went. Uh, Who cares? Yeah. Yeah. So no, no Harry Kim. So okay. So quick hitters. Some yeah. Who was the science consultant on Voyager? Yeah. Because it's somebody who thought your immune system could fight off nuclear fission. Uh, we're running into a lot of this this week. I don't know what was going on. Um, uh, Janeway had to do a bunch of computer shit so that the doctor had the ability to turn himself off. Yeah. But all Jatrell has to do is repeat the words yeah. that the doctor said. There's no sass from Majel Barrett about authorization levels. Because in Voyager, we've done a lot of authorization business. That's true, yeah. In protocol business. Just nothing in this one? He just turns them off. That's the only thing I had that we hadn't talked about. We covered most of it. Uh, well, the first thing I typed on this entire page was, No! No! <laughs> Fucking Sandrines! Fucking Sandrines! Oh, yeah. Fucking God, Sandy was... Sardines! I was very upset. There is there is nothing worse than okay. Oh, oh fuck! Oh fuck! We're in the holiday. Oh, I was so mad. Uh, we're in Tom Paris's weird Paris fantasy where he goes to have sex. What's, oh, what's happening? What's happening? Neelix is playing pool with Tuvok. It's like they fucked all of the worst things. And you know he goes there to have sex. We already know that. But he invites the whole crew. He does. And then at some point when they're playing pool, he slips upstairs and fucks a hologram. Yeah, I don't like it. I don't like it. What happens if the power goes out? Yeah, then he's just there raw dog and nothing. He's just like humping the floor. Yeah, it's not a good look at all. Then I had, oh no, dog. Is this a Neelix episode? We haven't had to deal with many of those yet. I'm worried. Yeah. Um, Doctor, my boy, Jatrell, is Jerox, so that could be cool. Do you suppose uh, that Neelix makeup really stinks? Because it looks like it stinks. <laughs> like the makeup it he has look, to wear. It does look bad. Um, Why are they letting this guy look at all the ship's systems? 
Yep. He's never even heard of a transporter like the rest of the damn quadrant. And they're just like letting him go through all the specs. Isn't yep. there some kind of contamination prime directive kind of issue here? I mean, he showed up in a shuttle. I get it. Wait, I'm not even talking I about I guess just... the prime directive doesn't apply. But what about just but giving technology the... to everybody who shows up? That's not the only rule, right? Like, there's security? I just, I didn't get it. And again, the, all they know like, about him is, is that no, he's... Why is there no wharf to say that someone shouldn't have un, unfettered access to the ship's system? <laughs> and again, all we know about him is that he's Talaxi and Hitler. Yeah. Like, I just... Okay. When Chakotay says that going back to... Oh, the big detour thing. Uh, Janeway says it's to save Neelix's life to do that big detour. He should have just gone... Well, it's a pretty big well, detour. <laughs> again, that would have been the right thing to say. You should have said, well, I can cook. <laughs> yeah. uh, the other day, I said to Marjan, is there anything besides science that makes your heart beat faster? <laughs> and she said, not anymore. <laughs> Actual fucking terrible dialogue from this episode. Um, this Jarrett guy, not only great at bitter, but uh, great at portraying proud, but dark inside. That's true. Um, let's see. Uh, too bad I can't get points for um, Jatrell character building. Um, exactly. It would have been worth a couple more, but like... Because we get hit a lot of his backstory. We get a ton of his backstory. At some backstory. point, Janeway was so bad, it, it kind of put a cap on the episode for me. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and by the way, the dude looks like he's doing pretty well for going to be dead in a few days. Yeah. Like, every once in a while, he well, winces. He's like, oh! It's not much is happening to him. His, I mean, his cells are uh, undergoing nuclear fission. And then Neelix forgave Jatrell to death. He did forgive him to death. He's like, I forgive you. And instantly he goes, ah! It's, I mean... It's a bad death. What's the, what's the name of the Galorndon Core episode? Uh, uh, fucking, I know this one. The Enemy. I don't know if that's right. I don't know. Um... <laughs> Worf and that angry Romulan have a much better... Oh, yeah, dude. Much better interaction than Neelix and Jatrell here. Don't ever compare this to Galorndon Core. That episode is boss. Worf refuses to save the guy. Yeah. He kills a dude! He does, he straight kills him. And you know... Picard... They're all murderous. By that point, we've already seen... <laughs> uh, Picard and Riker have both done a real good murder. <laughs> so they find it hard to judge. So they're like, well, we all like to murder. Picard looks so disappointed in Worf in that episode, but you know, nothing even goes in his fucking permanent record or anything. He's just like, well, whatever. Anyway, we'll get to that at some point in five years. So is that it? Was that everything on this episode? I think so. Was that not enough? I mean... I think it really is. Let me see if Ben had anything to say. Yeah, yeah, we should check in on uh, Ben's episode. Uh, He had this as the search for redemption. As I don't think he watched the whole episode. (laughs) <laughs> um, maybe maybe Neelix's search for redemption. I don't know. Um, quick hitters. Uh, are they riffing on Chernobyl or Hiroshima Nagasaki? Uh, that's what we thought, but no. Yeah, turns well, out th- what no. they're doing is they're invoking it, but they're not. They're not actually talking about it at all. Exactly. And he had best actor as Neelix, but he did say, "I can't believe." That's it. right. <laughs> and he picked the odd option of not awarding a worst actor. Yeah, maybe there were too many candidates. Unless there was a character in here I don't remember called X. <laughs> That's right. But he gave this 20 overall. What did we give it? He did. 
And he and he gave the note decent storytelling. I mean, okay. Um, it was fine. He does point out that the doctor is literally trying to go back and save the individual victims of his weapon. Yeah, which it's is really weird. which is odd, but like that all happens in the last two minutes of the show. Yeah, that, this episode really went off the rails. It's just they didn't know what they wanted to do with it, and it shows. And yet, what did I give it? You gave it 19 points. Right. I, I gave it 16 points. That's not bad for Voyager. That's 35 points. That's um, that's five points higher than its average and a big jump over the last three weeks, which have been poor. I think what we're learning is if you have a take and you give it to one character and you let them work through it, you will at least get some points. Yeah. They didn't know about the points back then. I know. How important the points would be in the future. <laughs> they should have, though. But if they they, they should have known. Uh... Uh, so, four episodes down. Balance of Terror still has a 14-point lead. Yeah. Over an episode that scored pretty good. Yes, that's true. S- surprisingly good. But there's one more to go. Because this week, we watched Shadows of Pajem. <laughs> You just wish that there was a, a they fought a space alien with guitar powers. Yeah, wouldn't that have been cool? Yeah. <clears throat> uh, I didn't. Nothing jumped out at me with the title "Shadows of Pajamas." So I went one. from shadows to darkness. I go, oh, okay. Maybe uh, "Standing in the Shadows of Love" or um, "Oh God Damn It." That would have been a good one. Maybe. Uh, oh, it would have been so good, and I love that song. And it's on my iPhone. We played uh, it two weeks. That's ago. That's all right. That's okay. That's fine. Three weeks ago. I get it. The darkness. <clears throat> The Vulcans are pissy about their monastery slash spy station on Pajem, and they're uh, recalling T-Pol. 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 <laughs> Archer takes her on one last mission, where they're shot down by a radical faction opposed to the Vulcan-supported government. Then the Vulcans show up, and the Andorians are there, and like a bunch of other dumb shit. That is correct. That's the plot. Uh, we should point out that this is on some other different alien planet. It's on Corridan. Corridan. Um, this will come up in a number of weeks because this is the planet that is at issue in the episode Journey to Babel. Well, really? Uh-huh. Uh, look at them doing some stuff. I didn't even yeah, realize because that. Because the Vulcans and the Andorians both have a presence there. Uh, but that's week 39, so... Oh, okay. It's 15 more episode weeks, no, no, so... No, tw- 25 more if it's 39. Uh, 25 more episode weeks, you are correct. So about a year. So about a year, yeah. roughly a year. We, we'll talk about this one next summer. Yeah, but, check back um, summer of 2018, everybody. <laughs> Get your continuity points then. That's a different series. Sure. Um, what do you have for the take on this bad boy? All right, here it is. When you're the only ship in deep space, your impulsive actions can have far-reaching consequences. I thought so long about yeah. something else other than... Sometimes what you do matters. Yeah. In the end, I'm there, and I'm going to explain to you now why that is a seven-point take. Oh. And it is only a seven-point take because this never happens in Star Trek. Oh, or there's consequences. Yeah, I get it. A decision that you (laughs) make never has... It happens... Like, even... 
even continuity rarely happens if it's more than one episode apart in Star Trek. Right. Like, it happens a little bit with the Klingon Civil War in TNG. Sure. Although, arguably, what Worf does in the first part of that arc does not matter. Okay. Because the Duras family were already working with the Romulan. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Okay. He did not save the Empire from Civil War. No, he did not. By his actions. No. Uh, and, and again, happens al- it, it almost doesn't happen at all. The closest, the well, the best example I could think of uh, is Iborg. Yes, that definitely does have consequences. Right. For for one two-part episode. Yeah, I mean, there are reverberate. Well, okay, but it's not their actions. I was going to say there are reverber- reverberations from Wolf 359 throughout the series, is, is, but yes. yeah, but that's not really their actions that have anything to exactly. do with it. Exactly. Okay. So that's why it's worth seven points, and I I tried some other ideas about what this could be about. Yeah. Yeah, I um here's the which were mostly about like like f- sort of an idea of how a crew is a family because of all the T pole stuff. Because although they hate T pole, they still she's... nearly nearly to death. <laughs> she's still one of them. No one is happy when the Vulcans try to recall her. Right. Yeah, I got even, you. Even Trip isn't happy, and he hates her the most. Here's the version of what I... I think what I have is related to what you had, and you can tell me how you feel about it. Um, the right action isn't always an expedient one, or something... The moral action isn't always the 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 correct action, or something like that. That's what I've got. This is interesting, and if it's true, it has some echoes from progress. Sure, yes. And, uh, okay, so obviously Archer stood up for his principles at Pajem. Oh, but guess what? This episode is all that shit coming home to roost, right? Yes. Um, Because you got fucking T-Pole getting recalled. You've got the Andorians showing up out of nowhere. you got all this shit going down. And everyone hates him, and everyone hates her, and everyone hates their guts, and all this shit, because he did what he thought was right on Pajem, but it's caused a huge problem between Earth and Vulcan, and all this other nonsense. Which, again, is something you don't see a lot of in Star Trek. Consequences. It's it's just, you don't. Consequences are unknown, because they didn't know uh, yet that there would be such as a Netflix. So, there was no guarantee that you would see these episodes in any kind of order, after their first airing. Right. Or that you would see all of them. So do you do you like that better? The moral action isn't always the correct one, or some other phrasing of that. Just I don't know how you how you feel about that take. I mean that's it's not very Roddenberryan, but it is a seriously it, hot take. It is it is in there. It is a take for Star Treks. So what did you give this take of yours? I gave it an eight because of the heat. It's got heat. I thought it was a hot take that I gave it. <laughs> I probably wouldn't have given it an eight because it's kind of not like. But well, we can talk about execution, but but you, I, I, so, I think yeah. Roddenberry would generally want you to believe that the right, the moral action is the right action. Correct. But in this case, this is more simple. Although I think he would acknowledge that it might not be politically expedient, mm-hmm. but he probably would have a universe where you could convince your superiors that it was the right thing to do anyway. Yeah. That's because correct. they would be reasonable people. Yes. Which, by the way, is basically how the Admiral in this is portrayed. It's just not the Vulcans, because they hate the Vulcans in this. Yeah, this show fucking takes the Vulcans. Dude, it it knocks them down two steps in rank. 
That's what it, this uh, they show are does reduced, to the Vulcans. They are reduced two steps in rank and have to go back to their station. <laughs> uh, well, let me jump into execution then. So, okay. a lot of time is spent talking about Pajem and whether it was their place to rat on the Vulcans. And it definitely plays out all over the episode from the events on the ship to Paul's impending transfer to events on the planet, the Andorian's arrival and motivations and all that. Strangely, other than T-Pole's situation being temporarily settled, nothing else was in this episode. This is true. The writers feel content to let things kind of simmer with the Andorians and Vulcans, probably because they expect to go back to this well again. Yeah, I think that's probably true. This this felt like the middle episode of an arc. And I'm okay with that. Okay. I feel like it's fine that they're going to leave this going because there's so little about Enterprise that's interesting. Yeah. In the early going, and I will settle yes. for more Andorian Vulcan shit with Archer caught in the middle. I'm okay with it. I gave the execution a seven. All right. How did you feel about Shran showing up again? We'll talk about him more later. Yeah, I. so I kind of covered in the end of characterization. He's probably the best thing about this show. And I never thought I'd say that about a Wayun slash Brunt slash Shran <laughs> slash was originally considered to play Riker for that guy. I never yeah. thought I would say that, but it seems like he's actually trying to do something. So I kind of give him points for effort. Like, he's a dickhole with a code. I think he's automatically the most complex character they've written. Yeah. Yeah, he's not one note. Like, well, so who have we seen that's recurring? This Admiral. Yeah, Admiral Forrest, who is like a uh, frustrated guy who has to toe the line with the Vulcans. Right. The Vulcan ambassador, who's just, who's just a piece of shit like all the Vulcans in this. Raging doucher. And Shran, who feels like a character you'd see in a movie or TV show because he's a, you know, he's a violent guy, but he's roguish. I don't know. Yeah, like in the first time you meet him, you think, oh, what a dickhole. He's abusing Archer. But then it turns out he's right all along. And yeah, then you're like, he's 100% oh, right. No, wait, no, he was just straight on the ball on that. And then he comes back here because he, like, doesn't, I don't like being in anyone's debt. I'm yeah. here to pay my debts. And you're like, okay, here, I get it. He's here so he can sleep at night. Right. So I liked that he came back. Okay. Um, I only gave it such as a five in execution. And here's... uh, So, okay. So here's what I had to say. The business with Archer getting a face full of Vulcan boobs is very juvenile. Yes, it is. Um, There's a lot of continuity. But it's not not particularly interesting. For instance, like, everything that we see from the Pajem story, like the pissed off Vulcans and T'Pol being recalled are things that must have happened. Mm. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, of course. Yes. Yeah. Of the Vulcans, the Vulcans are not are happy pissed. about it. And of course they're going to want to talk to T'Pol about this. Right. She was there. She was on Pajem. And her job is to like represent Vulcan yeah. on this ship. Um, the only unexpected thing is Tran. Yes. And we don't... I didn't feel like I know knew anything about what this meant for the Vulcan-Andorian conflict going forward. Yes. Like, we know that they destroyed Pajam. We know from the first episode that they don't like each other at all. Yes. And that they have problems. That's why Vulcans were spying on them. And right. yes, now we know that they have... Uh, the Andorians did not just let that hang around. They blew it up. Right. But... But what's... They don't hint at what's going to happen next. Right. I mean, obviously the Andorians are there and they have contacts with the disaffected members of the Corridan Society, but, like, 
How important is Coradan to Vulcan? It it's not clear. Nothing about Coradan is clear. Yeah. It's, yeah. So, um, like I said, it's about a five. Okay. It's not. It's not awful. It's one of the. I mean. It's kind of one of the better episodes of Enterprise so far. I know. I think their two best episodes have been about the Andorians. Yeah. <laughs> um. So, but but you know, they left some stuff on the table. Yeah. Um. Um. World building. A little bit. There is some. A little. There's some. A little bit of behind the scenes shit where you see what Admiral Forrest has to go through with the Vulcans. Yeah. Uh, obviously, they get all the continuity points for whatever that's going to be worth for bringing back this plot line. Uh, Corridan ships are faster than Vulcan ships, according to rumor? Oh, that's all a lie. Oh, so I didn't, I wasn't clear. All of that was a lie? That was all made up. He made that all up just to piss Trip off. Okay. All right. Uh, T'Pol was assigned to Enterprise not only as an observer, which is what I thought she was there for, but to act in the interests of the Vulcan people, which I wasn't clear on. Yeah, I don't think they outright said that, but come on. Because that seems like the kind of thing that would drive Archer fucking crazy. Well, Archer's been mad at her for 14 episodes so far. Because he thought she was a spy or whatever. Yeah. Which she was. But I never, I didn't know it was like explicitly stated that she was just like, no, I'm just, you know, I'm I'm here for Vulcan. I thought it was like, I'm here to observe and report back to Vulcan, but not I'm here to represent the interests of the Vulcan people. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I thought that Mm -hmm. was... When she said that, and, it was something. and he didn't say anything back, I was like, wait, did I just miss that that was a thing that they've already talked about? Or I thought there was something around that also, but we'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, I doubt they're called plasma bullets, but I don't know. Maybe they are. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's all I had. Um, I, I, I'm going to give it a... Th- I'm going to give it a four for continuity points. Okay. So you're bump, bumping it, maybe. Yeah. Here's where I am on this, uh, in addition to the things you said. The ship carries 15 phase pistols. It's not very many. It doesn't seem like a lot. Maybe they're hard to produce. Like, I don't know. I don't know if they've been explicit with how many people are on the ship. It's about eighty, right? Something like that. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so they can't arm. How are they ev- going to repel? How are they going to repel borders? Yeah, they can't arm everybody. Clearly, <laughs> or maybe they have. Do they have yeah. other kinds of guns? Do they have I a- frankly don't know. I don't know how how many guns there are on board a, a destroyer. Even a destroyer has more than eighty people. Yeah, maybe on board a. Frigate? A literal combat ship? They probably also have more than 80. Maybe they have uh, slug throwers. How many How many pistols do you think are on board a Coast Guard cutter? Damn, I wouldn't even know how to guess. There's no way to guess, right? Yeah. Uh, T'Pol is not the first Vulcan to serve on a human ship. Okay. So that's something. Yep. Uh, the shuttle pods are armed. I didn't think we'd seen that before. That's, we might not have. I don't know. There was some stuff in the first episode where they were on shuttles a lot, and I don't know if it came up in that. Yeah. Uh, the Vulcans take a shock and awe approach to terrorism. <laughs> they do. I don't... The Enterprise Vulcans are so is there different. Any, is there any way we can ruin the Vulcans more? Can we... Is there anything else about the Vulcans that we can... There's... Oh, let's go let's see a Vulcan SWAT team? They're so different from the Vulcans we... <laughs> we had Vulcan SEAL Team 6 bust into this place. I don't know if it's the length of this podcast or just this episode just made me yawn a fat yawn. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I give it four points also for world building. Um, there's not, there's not so much. Yeah. World building, by the way, traditionally the highest score for Enterprise, often because they have segments where they just do world building. Yep, that's right. Here's some exposition about stuff that has happened in the last thirty years or something. You go, okay, that's fine. Uh, K 
characterization. Now, I gave it a three. Okay. It never gets a good score from us. They don't make good characters. So here's what I had to say. Uh, Archer is a poor diplomat. Yes. Uh, But Trip is Jar Jar Binks voting the (laughs) Chancellor emergency powers. (laughs) He is so bad in that first call with the aliens, Uh, with the Corridan terrorists. He's just like... I mean, like like his hero Archer, he's practically crying. Uh-huh, yep. But he's just he doesn't nothing gets accomplished. He's just mad at him. It makes and that's sense. The only right? thing that he communicates. It, I mean, it makes sense. Is that part of his engineering training? Like I, I don't, don't know, but I don't even know why he's left in charge. I guess he's the ship's second officer or whatever. But he's, he doesn't seem like he has been versed in anything other than the engines. Yeah, it doesn't. It's not good. Uh, Hoshi seems to have carried her confidence forward a little bit in this one. Good for her. I she does barely... A, I didn't even notice does, her. Does a pretty good job of lying to the Vulcans. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Uh, Trip and Reed are real bunglers. Yeah. They're real bad on the ground down there. Immediately captured. <laughs> I thought T'Pol, by the way, came off best of anyone in this episode. Yeah. But here's one of the things that hurt that hurt this episode for me for characterization. When Archer says his dumb baby character flaw out loud, uh, you know, the, the Vulcans hurt his dad and he's not going to let it happen to him. I know, it's like, jeez. Why he, doesn't T'Pol say anything? He's like Riker. He just can't keep his shit together. But it's, it's like, how come nobody says to him, you, you gotta get over that. You are making bad decisions. Yeah, you, you should probably concentrate on, like, what's at hand. It's probably a good <laughs> idea. I'm sorry your dad was disappointed. What are you doing? <laughs> yep. Yeah. Uh, so all told a three for me on characterization. I um I I gave it a five, which is more than I usually give it. Um here's what I got. Archer and Tucker are buddies. They are blowing down big time in this opening scene. Um Tucker has to deal with the Vulcans. Represent the captain's wishes and Starfleet's. Is this in his engineering training? He's choosing to give these dudes some weapons? That is, like, the worst thing you can do. Yeah, that sucks. There are things I might be persuaded to trade for crewmen, but weapons? Come on, Trip. That's fried catfish and not in the good way. <laughs> he has some lines in this episode that kind of sound like, We went in a rowboat. Yeah, and I appreciate that was that. which was great in that episode. Yeah, that was probably the best line in that episode. <laughs> yes, uh, T'Pol is stoic about her impending transfer. Uh, she's also a damned liar, like all Vulcans. Yep, uh, but she takes one for the team in the end. You know, yep, she, she gets shot right in her butt meat. She gets blasted. Takes a plasma bolt right in her butt meat. In her booty. Uh, is T'Pol Archer's teenage daughter? Like he thought she might enjoy one more road trip with her old daddy. Yeah, that's real bad, right? I didn't understand what was happening. Archer didn't even try to communicate with the ship that shot at him, in or- like when they were flying down. Nope. He just instantly starts firing back at them. Like, maybe it was a misunderstanding, or like, he didn't try to figure anything out. He just started blasting away. Um, Reed's character, I felt, was confirmed in this episode. He's against negotiating with the Corridonites. Cor- Cor- I don't know what they're called. Do- doesn't trust outsiders, etc. Um, though it's with good reason in this circumstance. Uh, but I don't remember them saying anything about pineapple. That's true. That That is his main character trait so far. Pineapple. He likes it. What do you know about Reed? 
Pineapple? He likes pineapple. pineapple. We spent a whole episode on this. Describe for me Reed's character. Pineapples. Pi- pi- pineapples. Uh, a lot of dialogue in this episode. Even a lot of the characters just saying exactly what's in their heads. But I don't know if we're learning any more about the characters' aspirations, motivations, fears. No, especially not the tertiary characters, right? Yeah. I mean, Archer and Paul May- Mayweather and Hoshi and Reed. Yeah. Archer and Paul talk for a very long time in one long scene. The hilarious boobs scene. Oh, God. And I, just, <coughs> I didn't glean anything from it that wasn't surface or what Archer already accused her of in an earlier piece of dialogue in the episode. And there's nothing in there about their relationship. And they talked. It was just them in a room tied up together, and it's a long scene. Like, putatively, this is why he's taken her down there, right? Yes. Is to say goodbye to her. And they don't do any business. No. About that at all. These writers just aren't awesome, I think. is No, they're not crushing it. By the way, it sounds like we super hated this episode. I have already totaled it up. Yeah, but that's funny. So the reason it got as high as a five is because I did incorporate Shran into it because he's technically a recurring character now. That's right. And I have confidence that he will be back based on the fact that he's now shown up twice in not very long. And that they didn't solve anything. This is the thing. We've given points for recurring characters before, like uh, particularly for Seska and Carrie in Voyager. Fresca, I believe was her name. Fresca. (laughs) So, yeah, once you start to get the feeling that a character is going to be around for a while, I think you can start to think about their character. And you're right that um, Shran has one. Yes, he has a character. He's not a Dax. Right. Um, and right before you tell us what is added up, Ben had the plot as shit has consequences as well. Um, and in characterization, he mentioned that she flat out lied to her captors, which in this case he actually feels is entirely logical, so he didn't understand why it, why Vulcans can't lie. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense that because they are logical, they can't lie. Like, it it almost would have to be, uh, Surak believed in two things. Right. Uh, cold, relentless logic, and, and also uh, not lying. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, like because otherwise, the two are not incompatible. Yeah. So I thought that was a good point that he made. Yeah. Anyway, so how, how did this thing do? Uh, so, uh, I gave it 19 points. Okay. Which is relatively high for me for Enterprise. Enterprise tends to not score that high. Well, particularly for me... Oh, oh never mind. That's the highest I've ever... Wait. Make sure. True? No, it's second highest. Terra Nova. Leg broke on the overside. I gave a... That is bonkers to me. I gave a slightly higher score. What did I give that one? Uh, you gave it 15. Okay. We disagree. All right. Leg broke on the overside. I remember not being good. <laughs> <laughs> um, You gave it 24 points. Whoa! Yeah. Man, so, I, <laughs> did you know you were doing that? I couldn't remember which ones got what points. I know I added them all up at one point. <laughs> it's bonkers to so, me. Uh, so, when you add them up, that's 43 points. Damn. Now, here's what sucks about that. Third place? No, there are only place. There are only two weeks where 43... Three weeks where 43 points wouldn't have won the week. Yeah. And now, now this week. Well... Now, this week, Balance of Terror got 55, but that is good for second place. It beat out Progress, it beat out Jatrell, it beat out 11001001, which was the worst episode of the week. I certainly thought so. 
at 32 points. Oh, by the way, I think it probably was the worst episode of the week. Also, if I was going to watch one of these again, yeah. for sure that'd be the one. I want to watch it right now. I want to wa- yeah. I want to have a watching party. I want to get people I, over and watch that episode. I want to watch Picard talk about his personal relaxation light. <laughs> um so that's a good it was a good week. Yeah, we- it was a strong week points-wise and also I didn't really hate watching any of these episodes. I know we talked a lot of shit about Shadows of Pajam. Yes, we did. We weren't we, despite its score, we were not very positive in I, our review. I I definitely would have scored it higher if they hadn't done all that slapstick with her boobs. Yeah, okay, so we've talked about it a number of times. In the scene they're tied up together, they're trying to break free of these ropes and they fall over and her boobs fall right on his face. And it's like, "Thanks, guys. I think you were trying to do some dialogue in this scene, but I guess yep. even you didn't think it was important. Um, but we skipped over quick hitters. Oh. And, and I did have some. Okay, let's do it. Sorry. Uh, the design of Starfleet Academy. By the way, why were we at Starfleet Academy? Well, Starfleet Headquarters is in San Francisco too, right? Yeah. Maybe that's where we were? I guess maybe. Okay. Uh, anyway, clearly they based the model in Star Trek Online on this episode. Oh, okay. Like, I recognize all the buildings. You've played so much Star Trek Online that you should know. Yeah, I played a lot. Yeah. Uh, there's uh, that exterior push-in on the Enterprise to look through the window. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought it looked... It had m- much the same texture as an Omega-class destroyer. Yeah, that's true. From Babylon 5. Yeah, I think that's true. So... <laughs> this is maybe the graphics need some work. Like, guys, maybe you jump to CG too soon because, like... There's only a couple of push-ins we're going to see uh, in TNG on the Enterprise, yeah. but because they are like push-ins on an actual model, yeah, they look like they look like a thing. They look like they have a physical presence. Yeah, they 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 don't look like the Agamemnon. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> That's all I'm saying about not that. great rendering. All right, uh, I don't think a fighter that looks like that could turn like that. It does some mongoosing shit, dude. It's just like, whoop! Now I'm going up. That thing has the profile of a high-speed interceptor for sure. Yeah, it was all long and big. It was huge. Yeah. It's like the size of a house. Um, also, these rebels have the super plane from Ace Combat 3. Yes. But no security cameras watching their important hostages. Like, where was their technology? Like, they have a, f- a fighter. It's very rare for rebels to have an air force. That's just a rarity at all. It's extremely rare on Earth. Yeah. Um, but you're right. Then they just put them in a shed and don't look at them again. They put them in a fucking corrugated tin shed, and then they have all of their conversations in there. And the by the way, those guys never show up again. I know. The they guy, get even the guy out. who shows up to feed them is uh, he's a, a plant. Yeah, he's working for the fucking Andorians or whoever. Fucking bullshit. Yeah. Um, I always liked the annular warp engines on Vulcan ships. Yeah, they're okay. I just like that look. Yep. Like, there are different ways to do warp drive. Yeah, you don't just have to have some nacelles sticking all out of your ship or whatever. Yep, yep, yeah. yep. Um, I actually missed the part of the high ground where Riker has to work with the Rudian security officer. Yeah, that probably would have been better. There's like... Well, for one they thing... Talk, they talk to the government of this planet one time. Yeah. They don't involve them in any way. They don't work with them at all. Yeah, for one thing, what was... <laughs> Man, season three of TNG. That allowed you to see the conflict from two sides. Yep. But they weren't interested in telling us about the conflict in this episode. 
No, it's not about the conflict here no, on Korodan. It is not. That's what I had for quick hitters. I have almost nothing. Um, Vulcans seem very emotional in the opening of this episode. Damn Enterprise <laughs> yeah, Vulcans. Extremely mad. Vulcan database failed again. Nothing about a civil war or insurrection on that planet. They just yeah, go down like there. and give them the good database. Yeah, they just go down there completely unaware, like, do-do-do. You're going to a fucking war zone. Yeah. And then her dumb answer that the Vulcans don't consider it a war or whatever yeah, is like, well, that's logical. Because a fucking fighter plane came and forced us to land, so <laughs> that means it's a war. Yeah, that's right. Fuck your stupid fucking super logical database. It doesn't make any goddamn sense. That's literally all I had for quick haters. Yeah. So. Uh, I gave the best actor award in this one to Hoshi, I guess. She's barely in it. For her performance on the bridge mm-hmm. and the worst actor to Trip. He went. In, he went in a rowboat. <laughs> Not in this episode, but another time in the past. Say it right. We went in a rowboat. That was his inflection. <laughs> All right. Well, we did it, dude. Yeah, we did the dang thing. We did it real good. We're pushing three hours. I don't know if we're gonna make it, but we pushed it. Yeah, we will or we won't. I'm not but, gonna um, artificially do it. It's, but we, soon we'll have the content. I feel confident. Uh, so the winner this week: uh, Balance of Terror with 55 points. Which is the all-time winner, I believe. It's the, it's the all-time top top episode so far. <clears throat> and uh, frankly, <sighs> there aren't too many episodes out there that are potentially better than what we saw. It would have to be episode. another surprise or one of the ones that we've talked about many times from TNG or something yeah, like one that. Of, one of the good ones. I mean, maybe, maybe there's something lurking out there. I certainly haven't seen uh, any of the Enterprise episodes and most of the Voyager episodes that are left I haven't seen. Maybe one will just catch my fancy. Probably not yours. You seem to score them lower than me. But like, maybe there's a maybe there's a real good Dominion War arc ep- episode somewhere. Because this DS9 episode this week was gonna get a 28 if it wasn't for that B plot. So for which, me, you know, which was a throwaway. It was like a plot, B plot, news radio. There's no. sometimes there's no way to tell. Yeah, and that one. If we were like years from now, if we try to get that one, you will never get the B plot on that episode. Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> I mean, I might guess it just because that's literally the only Deep Space Nine B-plot I remember. <laughs> uh, next week, maybe not so good. Oh, boy. So let's temper our expectations a little bit. In week 15, uh, for the original series, we have Shore Leave. Oh, no. That's not good. Um, I don't remember that as being a good episode. Me neither. So we'll see. Uh, for the next generation, too short a season. Oh, no. Uh, that is the episode that first prompted me to ask the question, what is the Federation? That's a really bad start, because usually if those two aren't good, we're in for a bad week. Yeah, well, uh, Deep Space Nine, if wishes were horses. That's really bad. That's not good. Oh, that's, that's not good. I don't have fond memories of that. Oh, boy. I mean, I remember being nuts, but like, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it'll. Maybe yeah. we'll just have nothing but quick hitters and we'll be happy about yeah, it. Yeah, maybe. For Voyager, learning curve. Oh, that could be about anything. Yeah, but at least it's not Cathexis or Jatrell. That's true. And for Enterprise, Shuttle Pod 1. Sounds like it's going to be a bottle episode. Oh boy! Yep. That won't be good So we'll these get characters. to see all those good, good characters. <laughs> Fuck! I, I almost just typed in... I'm getting my form ready. I almost just typed in bottle episode as the name. <laughs> what was it called? Shuttle Pod 1? Shuttle Pod 1. All so, right. if you want to play along, those are the episodes to watch. You have two weeks to do it, probably. Yeah. Um, 
Next week we'll return with some kind of mailbag non-Star Trek episode. I guess I'll be on... I could potentially be on jury duty oh, yeah. during the week that we record this next episode, but uh, jury duty ends at like 4.30 or 5 p.m., so that's it's actually super helpful for podcasting. Yeah, we'll get one done for sure. If... So we'll see what happens, but uh, those are the episodes to watch. You can tweet at us if you have anything to say for the mailbag, at BrotherDate. Uh, of course, we're on iTunes. Uh, BrotherDate.com. Rate, rate and subscribe. Uh, BrotherDate.com. Um, if you somehow forgot how to get these episodes, you can get it there. Also has a link to the spreadsheet if you want to see how the totals are shaping up. Another win, uh, by the way, for uh, TOS brings it uh, to a tie now. Wow. Both the original series and the next generation have six episode uh, six wins. One each for Voyager and Enterprise. Nothing yet for Deep Space Nine. DS9's um, going to do, except this week they were actually pretty good, but... We're years and years away for the, from this, but uh, the the rule that I had in mind, by the way, is um, uh, the original series is going to be the first one to tap out yeah. after seventy nine episodes. If the original series is in the ad, in the lead uh, there, then they are declared the winner. We can keep doing the rest for second place. All right, that makes sense. I guess if they've yeah. if they've shot their wad and they are in first place. Yep. I mean, it doesn't really count the entirety of the other shows, but what can you do? Yeah, but it's like, uh, you know, what are you going to say? The original series got uh, 79 wins because they won all of the first 79 weeks, but whoops. Then TNG won the next 90, so... Oh, I just maybe maybe average the scores or something. Yeah, there there are other ways to to address it, possibly, but that's what I figured. Anyway, that's... uh, Ten years from now. We'll discuss that in week 79. 50 years, maybe. A mere uh, sixty-five episodes. Hence, we all did it, guys. We cracked. Is... We cracked three hours. Yeah, I'm Woo! so excited. We did it. It was totally um, natural. It wasn't fucking PEDs or juice balls or anything. It was just <laughs> like the real deal. Just talking about Star Trek with your buddies. I mean, I did play this awesome clip about four times. The binar seemed perfect for this, even though this is the first time that I've ever come in contact with. It. Pineapples, we're out. I feel comfortable having it on top. Yeah. Uh, the, hold on, 20th... hold on, hold on. My Alexa keeps thinking I'm talking to it. I'm not talking to you! <laughs> Alright, sorry, go on. Please subscribe.